Hello, hello, hello once again. It's Chet. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. Today we have an interview with painter Brad Gray, who is really awesome in a word. I love his work. I think he brings something very uh, interesting to the table in the dark art realm. He's definitely got his own voice, and uh, I definitely dig what he's doing a lot with it. So we had a nice, easygoing chat. It was great meeting him in person finally and uh, hanging out and chatting with him. It's very, uh, very one of those ones where you forget it's recording. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I'm, what am I doing? I'm working on my, the dystopia book. I'm doing some illustrations for that now. I'm filling in some blanks. That's coming along nicely. Uh, what else? That's pretty much it. That's all I'm focusing on right now. I got to get this thing done. I was supposed to have everything done this year. That was my plan. And there's only two months left in the year. So wish me luck. I'll be close anyway if I don't hit the deadline, but I think I'll be done with the book this year. At least what 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 I'm my part in the book. That's the plan. What the hell was that? Oh my phone. I gotta turn that off. Anyway, yeah, so not a ton of exciting stuff going on with me other than making these uh book illustrations and getting that continuing the progress of the book. And moving everything forward. So, um, let's see. Let's go to new subscribers here. New Patreon subscribers. If you want to join, it's only a dollar a month. And it's at uh, patreon.com slash darkartsociety. And you can make it happen. If you listen to the podcast and you can afford a dollar a month, even for one month, and then you could delete your pledge if you want. If you, if you don't think it's worth it, but you get the podcast a day early and you get interest entrance into the secret Facebook group and the website that we're building up all the time. It's a good deal. $12 a year. Anyway, um, here's the new subscribers this week. We had some new subscribers. So it starts off with mm, Kevin McGinnis. Thank you so much uh let's see wiseman upped his pledge thank you for doing that langley west wow with a generous donation or subscription whatever you want to call it thank you langley that's awesome amanda williams who just sent me a lovely note about the dark art society uh thank you amanda uh, wait a minute. Oh, Kevin McGinnis again up his pledge. Okay, thanks for that. And Megan Buseri, Busera, Busera, Bucera, B U C C E R E. I'm sorry, Megan, if I'm mispronouncing your name, but thank you for the pledge. Subscription. It's not really a pledge. It's more subscription donation i don't know what to call it but thank you for supporting thank you for your support how about that uh let's see 
yeah, that's pretty much it. I got to get back to this book. I'm doing some um, pencil drawings and pen and ink drawings for it. So I'm going to keep this short and get back to work. But I just wanted to uh, do the intro here and talk about the new subscribers and talk about Brad being on the podcast. It's a good one. It's really interesting. Talk about an interesting life. This dude's lived all over the world. It's kind of insane. Anyway, check it out. I hope you like it. Uh, and thanks for listening. Hey, Brad. How are you doing? All right, Chet. It's nice to be here. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm a huge fan, as you know, because I just told you. Um, very inspired by your work. Very inspired. You're one of those guys that, one of those artists that makes me just want to go paint. I, I was looking at your stuff before, before we got on. I was like, I don't want to do this interview. I want to go to the studio and paint now. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But no, you know what I'm saying. It's, uh, it's, it's inspiring to me. Yeah, that that's always the the biggest source of inspiration I find seeing other art, and it picks you up to want to go and do just just that, really. Absolutely, so yeah. Every every time, uh, every time I go to a show, I immediate, if it's a good show, an art show, I just immediately want to leave and go paint. That's how it usually works for me. Yeah, <laughs> the show. Yeah. Okay, so you're in Ireland. Is this the first interview we've done from so Ireland? Yeah, <clears throat> Yeah, we've been here uh, five years my... now. Oh, okay. So we, we moved here from China. From uh, China? To... Yep. Where yep. in China? So we've pretty much kind of been moving around for the last 20 years. Where? Um, where? My Well, my wife was a teacher, an art teacher, so she tends to get the jobs and then I'd follow along. Um Occasionally, like in China, <clears throat> um, Swatch, the watch company, uh-huh. they took me over there. On- so I was there already. She was then looking, got offered a job in the middle of China, and we hooked up afterwards. So we were only there for two years because the pollution was really bad. Um, and with the three kids, we thought, yeah, better go somewhere else so we could have gone back to south africa which we were familiar with mm-hmm. um, but at that point we were already used to that sort of way of life which was really nice but we fancied a change because mm-hmm. um, i mean the whole reason why we went to in the first place was to have a bit of a, a new direction mm-hmm. so when we finished china we came back here because um, my wife's irish and um, we ended up living with her uncle, who's 91. Oh, wow. And we were looking after him, so it's a mutual kind of benefit. Um, <clears throat> but he's now in an old people's home, too old, frail, hmm. uh, got dementia, started getting a bit aggressive, uh, and uh, it was quite difficult looking. Yeah, that's right. So we did the house, and we're now, we've been here two months in this house. Wow. So what part of China were you in? Um, initially, I was with Swatch in Shanghai. Sh- okay. And it was a beautiful 
uh, five-star hotel that was on the Bund, which is right on the riverfront. And um, <clears throat> you look over what we call Poudon, which is the, the skyline, the modern skyline. Mm-hmm. The building we were in was um, was the old opium um, sort of faculty, not faculty, what's the word? The Opium Commission. Mm-hmm. So the, the time of the, uh, the Opium Wars, ah. the British had this place to administer the whole thing. So it went back to sort of a good 150 years. Then a modern designer came in from Switzerland, designed it, gutted the building, really made it amazing inside. And then Swatch ran an art residency program. So two of the floors um, were given to artists on a roll-on, roll-off basis. And uh, I was there for six months. Wow. So... Once that concluded, um, by then my wife had been offered a job in Xi'an, which is in the middle of China. Mm-hmm. So I just relocated and met them all there, which was a bit of a come down, you know, after having been in um, a beautiful five star hotel for, for six months. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, yeah, big crash. <laughs> Back to the realities of family life and all that, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, the pollution was terrible, mm-hmm. but China was quite an amazing place to live. I know you went there, right? You were in Beijing? Yeah, in Beijing for, bit, you? for four, yeah, four months. My wife and yeah. I were working on a movie. We actually, in the middle of it during the Chinese New Year, we brought her mother out and, um, our kids. So it was kind of cool. They got to see it stay out for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was pollution was God, God awful, but you know, I'm from LA, so we're used to that sort of thing. Although the pollution in Beijing was insane, uh, but the people were awesome. Really great people, really sweet. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool people. Um, <clears throat> I I found a, a lot of people imagine it to be quite strict, you know, the right. the communist oppression and all that. But it was very free, really. I mean, we had um, two electric scooters, which we whizzed the family around on. Mm-hmm. I'd often have the three kids with me, sort of all jammed in. <laughs> and you could go down a one-way street with a beer in your hand if you wanted to. Right, I know. <laughs> right. You know, it was really liberal. Um, and wherever you went, you were met with friendly people. Right. I liked it. If it wasn't for the pollution, I could have happily stayed there for another couple of years. Really? Um, and they've got some amazing geoparks all over the country. Yeah. Uh, they're characterized by really unusual rock formations, which I've always loved. Right. So, yeah. Um, but here we are now in Ireland. Yeah, that's a, that's that's cool. That's a, Ireland is a place that my wife and I always talk about going because um, – I'm, I've, I mean, I don't know. She, she just wants to, to, to go there. But I, uh, I always, I'm, I, I got, I have Irish in me, so I've got Irish blood. Yeah. yeah so, um, <clears throat> I definitely feel a connection to, uh, yeah. Ireland for sure. So, would, would you come back and trace your roots? To, I don't to even family? know, man. My family is so. I mean, my mother was a McBride, so it was like we were Irish. I was told it was Irish, Scottish, Mexican, German, and uh, French. 
a good American. <laughs> yeah, total mutt, total mutt. But I've always my you know my my grandfather, my mom's dad was like you know the hard drinking Irish Irishman. I mean, he wasn't from Ireland, but he was you know red hair and and you know alcoholic <laughs> and <just Yeah. laughs> kind of a, a wild you know. Kind of a crazy dude, you yeah. know, kind of a wild guy, funny, you so, know, kind of stereotypical in yeah. a way, I think. It's quieted down a lot, really. It's, it's become very EU, um, lots of regulations put in place. Um, people follow the rules. Um, right. <clears throat> that sort of wild Irishman, I'd say, they still exist. I mean, parts of Dublin are really rough, but, um, yeah, I mean, my, my mates used to say, whenever you see a dancing tramp in a bus stop, in the UK, it's inevitably an Irishman. <laughs> and they did have a reputation. But, uh, I mean, there was even rules in the pubs. There no blacks, no dogs or Irish. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it was all, you know, that prejudice towards them. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really nice. now. Lovely people here. Um, yeah, yeah. Really, really friendly. Nice place to live. Oh, yeah. I'm just uh, I'm en- very green. I'm envious, envious of, uh, I-, I love that kind of weather, too. Like rain and fog, I yeah. fucking love it. It's my favorite weather. So to be in California is like <laughs> it's it's. I like it cold and rainy and wet, man. I like it uh, dreary. I like it. I love it. <laughs> so I'm kind of yeah. envious of that, and uh, also the fact that the what's the the uh, the art as an artist, you don't they don't tax you or something. Yeah, um, it's amazing. It's an incredibly small art market. Really, right. really small. Yeah, but you can sell overseas, and, and though, think, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that way, it's it's a huge benefit. Um, so yeah, you get tax exempt status here once you've proved you're a full time artist. Um, selling here is difficult. There's only what four and a half million people on the island, mm. um, and. Wow. It's the way that, you know, you go through the universities, well, the, the art schools, and then there's that industry supporting you afterwards. But if you're coming from the outside trying to drop into that, it's quite difficult. Oh, I see. And it's being very nepotistic here. Hmm. Um, it's who you know. Right. And it's a small country, so there is that. Yeah, um, right. And what I've observed, it's like the... You've got your typical kind of art school push where it's really contemporary, maybe overly so. And then you've got your very traditional doing um, horse racing scenes and the landscape and that sort of thing. But there's not a lot of play in between. Mm. Right. Um, I mean, I haven't really tapped into any dark art here. Yeah, that surprises me. Yeah, they did have a dark art festival, but it was really in its infancy. Um, what about what about that that Wow X Wow, Wow Wow? I think it's called. That's that dude's in Ireland, right? Yeah. No, that's um, that's Tim McLean. He's up in uh, Inverness. Where's that? Up in Scotland. Oh, in Scotland. Oh, Scotland. okay. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. I thought he was in so, Ireland for some reason. Scotland, no, Ireland, it's the same thing to all us dumb Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I, so yeah. he, 
That's cool, though. You've got this, um, the Royal Hibernian Academy. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the oldest elitist clubs in the country. I think they've got 30 permanent men- members, and for a new member to come in, someone has to die. Wow. Um, That's harsh. And <laughs> it's hard. But they've got this amazing building in Dublin that goes back to, I think, about 1880. Wow. And um, they tend to throw very contemporary shows. Mm. Um, Once a year, they open it to the whole country where you can uh, enter a piece. You don't have to be an artist. And then you're selected. They curate the show. And there's about 400 pieces hanging. It's like the biggest art event in in the country. Mm. But there's, yeah, there's that whole contemporary push, which I don't really get into or or really resonate with, to be honest. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is... Uh, the whole uh, Europe, the whole of Europe, really is not from from the from the interviews I've done. Your, uh, dark art is just it's not happening in Europe. It's just there's not really a scene no. there, which is so weird to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've I've thought about that, and if you think of the um, the history that Europe has with the the mythology. And the the writers that have tapped into that dark thing, you know, mm, yeah, um, like this this old guy um, that we were looking after, Elaine's uncle, my wife's uncle. Uh, there's a guy that goes there called Mick, and he's in his seventies, and he's been looking after the property for the last uh, 30, 40 years. He came from a really really poor background, um, nine kids. His father died when he was about 40, so his mum had to bring nine kids oh up. Oh, my God. And one pair of shoes, and he, they were like big clodhoppers clod with steel cleats on the bottom, so you'd hear him coming. And he said the village itself, um, once you left the village, there were no street lamps anywhere, so you'd be walking out into the darkness. And he said... Um, the mythology and the ideas and the fertile imaginations would start to take over. So he says, for instance, he was walking out and um, he'd heard that there was a banshee out in the bog. And uh, you'd hear this wailing coming across the misty bog at night. And um, it was freaking all the locals out. And this was going on for three or four nights. Um, And it turned out it was a calf, a baby cow, that was trapped under this bridge by a piece of metal tube. Ah. So it was amplifying sound, and it was calling. Um, but everyone just assumed it was a banshee. Right. So you'd and think these that... people would be into dark art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. There's the old history, isn't there? Yeah. But um, for some reason, it's not. Um, there was another story. I was down in Galway, and uh, the river that goes out into the bay there, um, when the pesky British came over and colonised the place, they claimed the rights to the river, the fishing rights. So Lord Ashton, I think, was back in the UK, had the rights to the river. So the rebellious uh, locals, which, fair enough, it wasn't on that they would take their fish. So they would fish under the bridge where they were no longer seen and they could get, get away with doing what they were doing. But they'd go missing every now and then because um, it was a really strong river, mm. and then they'd be washed out to sea. 
But the rumours got around that there was a lobster man with these big claws that would come up and pull them ah, under. That's so cool. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, so the imaginations were there. And um, you'd think that would then fuel a nice dark art scene, wouldn't you? You'd think. Yeah, but I, I mean, there's such a history of... of ghost stories and and you know mythology i mean it's like it's i think my i think i think my 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 uh, mother's mother my grandmother who was married to jack mcbride the irishman he uh she (laughs) she was english i think actually i think she was english and um there was always on, on my mother's side, all her, her and her sisters, um, were always like into ghosts and the supernatural. And it just seems like, I don't know, there's a connection there with, there's a rich history of, of, yeah. of, uh, uh, ghost stories and, and mythologies with monsters and spirits yeah. and stuff. It's like, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's too, maybe it's too real over there. <laughs> so the, so the, so the uh, paintings are yeah. freak people out or something. Yeah. I mean, that's what uh, Dos, Di- you know, Dos Diablos, uh, Jorge. Yeah. He, um, yeah. that's what he's saying in Mexico. Again, in Mexico, you'd think that dark art would be huge because there's the Day of the Dead and there's a lot of strife there and there's a lot of Catholicism there and it's like it seems like a lot of things that would to me I would think that would kind of be a breeding ground for it. But he says it's the opposite. It's like people are so religious that it freaks them out. So it's like there's nothing there, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Um, because it, in a way, it's like we we're in South Africa before, and um, I was always surprised there was no real dark art over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I said, well, there's enough darkness already, you know, with, right? With uh, issues and things like that. So yeah. they'd rather not tap into that. Yeah, maybe that's rather escape. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's, uh, that's the case. That's interesting. I was, I I mean, look, well, sorry. No, I was just going to say I worked, I was in South, I went to South Africa too for like, uh, three weeks. I worked in Johannesburg. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a trip. Yeah. And you saw how everyone lived with the electric fences. Yeah. Yeah. This was in the, this was (laughs) in the, Nine, late nineties, I think it was. Right. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was, it was um, a trip, man. It was a trip. It was very. It reminded me of the early seventies to me, like in where I grew up, like just the way the shops and stuff were. It's. It, it seemed really yeah. like kind of. It reminded me kind of my childhood in a weird way, just the way things, the stores looked, and there wasn't like a ton of people everywhere. At least where I went, you know, kind of. It was a trip. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, we, we've often commented on that as well, because um, we were in uh, Saudi Arabia for a while, and then wow, one of the trips from there to, to South Africa to stay with my wife's uncle. He mm. was an Irishman that was living in Joburg, and we kind of we toured around. We uh, we hitchhiked all along the bottom, the long coast, and. Um, actually quite like the place not all of it but um, once you got out of the cities it was pretty crime free mm-hmm. and um, we ended up uh, settling down there so we um, 
we stayed with Jim in Joburg for four months. Uh, got used to that whole locking yourself in at night, right? Fences, etc. Yeah, it was pretty rough, you know. You did hear like the guy up the road, uh, he was bumped off one night while we were there, someone had a break in, and um. I, kind of, I suppose we went to numerous parties with mainly white people. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got thick of the the stories that it was, you know, it was always crime this and crime that. And you don't go down there because it's dangerous and it's it's black. Right. Um, then I met this Polish artist and um, he took me down there and we walked around and <clears throat> it seemed a great vibe. <clears throat> real sort of beating heart of, of Joburg, you know? Right. Really alive. And um, I thought, well, I'll go down again next time around there. And I went down to take some pictures. But on my own, it felt very different. Mm. And um, I don't know if I was paranoid, but um, I was walking down this little alley. And before I knew it, I was being strangled. Oh, my God. And a guy had come up. Guy had come up behind me, a big guy. I didn't see him, and he picked me up, put his, his his bony part of his arm across my throat, and lifted me up. While another guy ran towards me, he was frisking me, and the other guy, there's three of them, had a blade to my sternum. Oh my god! And um, it just I remember looking right into this guy's eyes, and because you kind of imagine, you know, you, if you're ever going to get mugged, you kick the hell out of them and do kung fu movies. Right. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and, um, I saw, I was there and I could feel all the bones in my neck crunching. Ah. And I went limp. My arms were like flaming. Oh my God. And um, this guy just went, shut up, shut up. And he frisked me. They took my money. It wasn't much. And then um, I blacked out because they, they blocked the oxygen to my brain. Mm-hmm. And um, I hit the deck I don't know how long I was there. Um, I woke up with grit and blood sort of around my eye, and I was concussed. I must have hit the deck pretty right. hard. And I was staring into this large wheel of a truck. So where I had gone down, there was buildings on one side, and then a truck, a big long trailer truck parked this side. So it was a perfect ambush. Right. And, um I was really dazed and confused, and I looked at this tire, and I thought I was waking up in the morning, and I said, that's not a lane. I was thinking that, she doesn't look like a lane. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was my wife. And then I kind of realized where I was, and I sort of rubbed my face, this grit was in my skin, and uh, I looked around and realized what had happened. And... Um, there was just such a feeling of non-plus people, like people right. that saw it happen, didn't do a thing. Right. Um, and that was my my warning, really, that yeah, it can be a dangerous place. Um, I mean, I wasn't stabbed. Uh, I just yeah, had a but bit still. Of money <laughs> yeah, that's scary. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, they were telling us. I remember when we were there, they were telling us, you know, horror stories, of course, and how they had like cars that had flames that came out the bottom because there were so many carjackings like out of the side or, or crazy shit yeah crazy yeah. shit yeah, yeah it was it was it was i mean after a certain time you don't right 
Right. Yeah. You, yeah. It's 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 it was a fucked up place. But again, it's so weird. It's just like it, it's just like with China. It's like the people are just people wherever you go. I think, I, you know, it sounds like you've traveled everywhere and, and I've traveled to a lot of places and it's always been everywhere I've been. You know, I've been to Italy. I've been to China. I've been to Berlin. I've been to London. Um, and it's like. You know, on the on the ground level, generally most people are just cool. You know, I haven't been to a place where everyone was a bunch of assholes, yeah. except one time when I was the only people in China that were the assholes were the Americans. <laughs> there was like the only person that gave me shit because I had like a nose ring at the time, a septum piercing, and I had I think maybe you know long hair and the beard and everything, and my part, half of my head was shaved or something. And the only person that gave me shit was an, another American in a convenience store, like really rude. He like he I, I yeah. walked I walked by and he said, uh, "Just what the world needs," <laughs> like under his breath. But he said it really loud. He was just <laughs> total asshole, and it was just kind of ironic. So, but you know, people are cool here too. It's like people, regular people. Yeah. Oh, I think you're. Are you are you there? I lost you. I lost you for a second. Okay, you're good. Yeah, yeah people are people, though. I think. Yeah. No, I think um, what I want to say as well is that you know we lived in South Africa for ten years and had an amazing time. Right. I wouldn't want to live in Joburg. Yeah. Friends that lived there, but we were right down the south, and it was really chilled, really peaceful, wonderful people, and. You know, you hear a lot of the negative coming out of South Africa all the time, but it was an amazing place to live. You know, we we, um, we had a family there, and yeah. we really, really enjoyed it. So we, we bought an old farmhouse um, down in the south and renovated it for two years. Hmm. And uh, it was wonderful. You know, you'd walk around barefoot, and um, we were in a national park. So the forest behind us just bled into the mountains, and then from there, you'd have all sorts of things coming out, caracals, um, uh, bushbuck, honey badgers. Amazing. And they'd all just come wandering into your garden. So cool. And it was, it was really, really wonderful. You know, you'd sit there and, like, I'd have a cup of tea because um, we built a studio at the bottom of the garden. And, you know, you'd finish painting for a bit, sit out the back and just listen to all the sounds of the forest all around you. And... And how you kind of tuned into it um, and noticing things that, like, for instance, one day I was having a cup of tea and um, the guinea fowl come walking through the garden. And they're, you know what they are? They're no. black birds with the white dots. They're like chickens, but they're wild. Mm. They're, they have blue heads and they have very loud kind of clucking sounds. Mm-hmm. The sound amplified by three. And they come through your garden, they peck away, and they get rid of all the bugs and things like that. Well, um, they're always kind of around, and if they see a snake, they freak out, really freak out. Mm. And one time we had our hose pipe going through the long grass, and they thought it was a snake, and they really <laughs> freaked out of that. But um, one, one, one day I sat there just drinking a tea, and they came trotting through, and um, they stopped. And probably a gaggle of maybe 15. And one of them, the big one, 
walked off on its own, went underneath this uh, lemon tree we had, and it started scraping a little bold patch through the leaves. It sat there, keeled over on its side, kicked its legs twice like that, and died. Oh, my God. And I, I was really amazing. The other ones just observed it. It's like they knew it was going to die. What a went trip. Off and died. Wow. And I walked up to it, put my hand on it. It was still warm. It was still. And I thought, wow, that's really quite amazing. It is. It is as well. Um, wow. And I put it in, I put it in the compost heat and um, <laughs> checked back six and it's gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> just the heat, just, yeah. Got eaten? <laughs> that whole sort of cycle of life and death was quite yeah well dogs will do that too dogs will um when they're when they're dying sometimes our dog didn't do that when he was dying but they'll they'll go and just find a weird place to like hide while they're dying it's weird like under the house they'll go under the house sometimes and just die it's it's like they know and that's so it's strange yeah um there was a, we were having a renovation done on the end of the house. So all the things in our bedroom, we had to cram into the hallway. So the hallway was choked with cupboards and things like that. Mm. We were sleeping in the lounge and the door to the bedroom was wide open to the open air for about mm. two months. And um, about two o'clock in the morning, something came into the house and started running up the corridor and bashing into things. Oh my God. And, uh, I, I jumped up and I grabbed something. I was naked. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was. My heart was like hammering away. And um, I was trying to do the man thing. And Elaine was like, what is it? What is it? And I was like, uh, there's something coming out and she could hear it. And I was like bashing away. And I sort of advanced, like peeked my head around, couldn't see a thing. And um, as I advanced in, then something went running up the corridor and out the, the door. And I don't know what it was, but it was pretty big. Wow. And um, then in the morning, um, we kind of just carried on with our day. And I went to put some washing in. Uh, no, I'd, yeah, put, I'd already had some washing in the washing machine. And then I went to put it on. So I put it on, went on the spin, washed the clothes. And then a couple of hours later, I went to get it out and hang it. And as I put my hand in, something scratched me right up the arm. And it was... Um, a cat. A what? A cat? <laughs> a cat. Cat, yeah. So it was the next door neighbor's cat. So thinking back to what had happened, the cat was chased into our house by something. It could have been a caracal, which are like the lynx with the long pointy ears. Uh-huh. Chased the, the cat. The cat ran into the washing machine where we had the washing all ready to go for the morning. And then I came in, closed the door on it, put the spin in the wash. Oh, my God. And killed the cat. Oh. And it was in rigor mortis. The legs are out like that. Oh, my and I God. I put my hand in it. Wow. So I, pulled, I pulled out this really heavy cat because, obviously, it's full of water. Wow. It was stiff as a board. And I had to go and apologize to the, the neighbor. Yeah, well, that's um, uh, uh, unusual <laughs> circumstances. I mean, what are you going to do? It's not like you could have helped that one. Yeah. I better t- check... I'm gonna check my my washer every time I wash my clothes to make sure some random cat's not in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wanna. Uh, 
Yeah, you sounds like you've had a, a really interesting life. Um, I want to I want to hear about you, uh, you know, from your life as an artist. Like, you know, how long have you been creating work? When did you start? Were you were you an art kid? What kind of things were you into and all that business? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know you, you asked that question. Are you an art kid? Are you an art kid? <laughs> I thought about I thought you'd probably ask me that. Yeah. Um, I was a climbing kid and uh-huh. an art kid. So, okay. Um, I um, and I was trying to think back to when I first started drawing because um, I grew up in Germany. In where? My dad was in, in Germany. Oh, where in Germany? It was where the Pied Piper fame came from. Oh, really? Pied Piper? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he kind of took all the rats away, then yeah. didn't pay him, so then he came all the kids away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we lived there uh, for five years, and um, we were kind of in these big tower blocks, and about three miles away, there was a really old Gothic castle. We called Dracula's Castle. And we used to go there with my parents. We'd do Sunday walks and so on. And then as we got familiar with it, they allowed us to go there on our own. So I'd go down there with my mates, and there was a couple of lakes. We could catch frogs and lizards and newts and things like that. Sounds amazing. And it was, and but we were always frightened about Dracula. That's Long part of the fun, though. Dead. That's part of the fun. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the curtains were always closed. They had these huge, big, tall, gothic windows. And one day the window the curtain was open and we peered in and it just looked amazing, you know. Right. I was wondering maybe that's sort of part of what fueled to to do what I do right. a, a little bit. But then there was also this guy, um, because we were you know, we're in this bigger state, army kids were always coming and going, mm-hmm. recycling and moving on. And this one lad turned up and he was uh, quite mad and he looked, he had this massive neck, really thick neck. He was really strong. He was like uh, three years older than myself at the time, really strong. And he had no hair on his arms. And the reason why I know, because he was very aggressive and he would always get me in a headlock, right? right. And this guy had this really thick neck. So he looked like a cross between a minotaur and a pug because <laughs> his eyes... <laughs> bolted out of his head and one was blind and one looked this way. Oh my god, and what a character. Really, really really aggressive and he always had like this green snot hanging out his nose. Holy shit. And whenever he get you in a headlock, you'd be aware of this snot dangling above your head. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, we we um we nearly actually killed him. Um we we got we got involved in um water bombs those little water bombs in the balloons. Mm-hmm. And we lived on the eighth floor, and uh, <clears throat> we were throwing them out of the window and <clears throat> seeing them splat below. Yeah, everybody And then we that. ran out of balloons. So, yeah, so we started um, filling carrier bags up and um, throwing them out, and they started booming. What, what, what were so they? Hit, what, 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 like carrier bags, shopping bags. Oh, shop, oh, okay, yeah, shopping carrier, bags. Yeah. So plastic bags were full with water, and then um, we ran out of them, and then we found a thick black plastic bin liner, a big one. Oh, like a trash bag, and we weren't garbage really bag. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I was like, uh, I was 
nine, nine or ten years old. So me and my mate Ian, we filled it about halfway full. That's so it must heavy, have been man. About twenty kilo. How did you lift it yeah. up? How did you carry it? <laughs> yeah, I know. We kind of got it, got it. The, the windows up high, right? So we kind of we pushed it up <laughs> and got it. So it's almost like like saddlebags would be over the horse, you know. So one side we had a load of water, and this side we got it up. And then um, we had to get up on the window. I got up. And then as Ian got up, he must have hit it with his elbow or something. And it toppled out the window. And uh, toppled. So we both peered out just as this kid, the pug minotaur guy, was walking into the building. And uh, it missed him by about 75 centimetres. Oh, my God. Just dropped right in front of him. Oh, my God. Boom. Knocked him off his feet. He fell backwards, soaked to the skin. And as he was on his back, he looked up and saw us. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so was he better after that or worse? <laughs> oh, yeah. He he, uh, he hunted us for, forever. <laughs> oh, my um, God. That's but awful. I, don't know, I think back to his face and his aggression, and um, I think that must have filtered out into some of my work though you know? yeah those and then, things um, are powerful experiences you, you talked kid. you talked about like day of the dead uh dawn of the dead mm-hmm. and um the howling yeah. so those films were coming out they were on the circuit with all the soldiers so they were pirate copying them and then we could get to see them when parents were out and i think um seeing a lot of those films was very influential as well so you're into horror movies as well? Not per se, but they were particularly good. Right. <laughs> something about them. I don't, I don't know true. if it's nostalgia or... Yeah, I mean, Spit in My Grave we watched. Um, and then there was other I've ones. I've still like never seen Warriors. that one. Do you remember that? Which one? No. The Warriors. Oh, the yeah. The Warriors is great. Yeah. That's a classic. Yeah, and The Wanderers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I don't really watch horror films now. Yeah. They don't seem to do much for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the visual. Yeah, there's there, there's hard to find. There's not as, you know, we'll sound like the old guys saying it, but there's not a lot of great horror movies nowadays. So, you know, it's kind of rare to find. There's a yeah. Once in a while, a good one will come out. But, um, yeah, I'm with you there. It's not like I seek them out anymore because there's just so much trash you know mostly trash but so well i guess you know i guess every every i'm sorry i I was gonna just say like you know that every or not every but most uh boys probably you know adolescent boys they're gonna be interested in horror movies to some degree just for the you know either the shock factor or you know it's exciting and counterculture a little bit you know yeah 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 um what i did find as well the first album i bought was war of the worlds and i used to love listening to that in my room mm-hmm. darkened room uh, or we'd be drawing from 2000 ad that comic mm-hmm. you know, copying what we could see and listening to war of the worlds so were, were you uh, into sci-fi science fiction <laughs> No, not really. No. I was never a Star Wars kid. No, um, I, I would. No, I mean, I watched Battlestar Galactica. No, I wouldn't say that, really. 
was out climbing and playing. Yeah, so you, lot, you really. sounds like maybe you weren't as nerdy as a lot of us. Because you, you got you kind of got to be a, a, a nerd, kind of nerdy to be into into like horror and sci-fi, really hardcore. And you know, I was definitely nerdy, but that's you know that's uh. uh it's like my my dad was the same way. He was a, he was a football player, like a sports guy, but he was also an artist, you know. So yeah. he, he wasn't uh, yeah wasn't really he was kind of nerdy though. Actually, now that I think about it, but you know, not as not as much as like a super super geeky horror fan. So that's interesting. So you're, uh, I mean, I was kind of like I was it was I used to like love to climb and I used to climb on my roof all the time. You know, I would climb trees. I would go hiking on my own and stuff too. So I was, I was kind of into into that as well. But I think you know a lot of it's kind of a boy thing. A lot, you know, for a lot of kids, at least back then. But yeah, I mean, you had the nice climate. I suppose you could be off full day. Um, oh we yeah. Usually, fine if it's and with rain, then it would bring us inside. Right. Yeah. No. Do the draw. <laughs> I was just, I was just, yeah, I was just telling my granddaughter. Uh, my granddaughters, um, how when I was her age, when I was 10, because she just turned 10, I was telling her, we, this was like, so 70, 1977, I must have been 10. We, we got on our bikes one day, no helmets, uh, got on, our, my mom didn't know where we were going, and we drove like, I have to look on the map, but it must have been like, 20 miles or something we drove all the way rode our bikes all the way across town all by ourselves and we were gone all day and we got back like right before dark and it's just like it's such a different world today you know i you know i wouldn't let my granddaughter do it it's just a different different place you know it was a lot less people back then and i don't know it seemed the world seemed less scary in a way a lot less traffic, I suppose. Um, yeah, I used to when I was six years old. Like, I used to walk on my own. Six years old, I'd, I'd go walk like probably a mile away, cross this major major street, and go to the toy store and get a monster model, buy a monster model for two dollars, and then bring it back home and build it all on my own. And it's just like, you know, now it's traffic and people and chaos. It's crazy. <laughs> I know we were in LA, I think about uh, maybe 15 years ago. And I remember the traffic was like roads that were six lanes wide. It's hell. It's pure hell. That's why I never leave my house. So that wasn't the road you were crossing? (laughs) No, it wasn't a freeway like that. It was more like just, yeah, just like a major street. But, you know, it's like, it was like a two lanes going each way. But it was like the main street of of San Pedro, one of the main streets. So, um, but anyway, yeah, it's just a, just it's just so weird to think about back then. It's crazy. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, come more nanny I suppose. I think we. I mean, it's part of it might be because there's more information, you know. So it seems like more dangerous. Maybe it was more dangerous back then, but we didn't know it because there wasn't the internet to tell you about all the stories and kidnappings. And but it also there was way there's yeah. there's way more people now, so it's going to happen more often because there's just more people and more crazy people. And yeah. but, but that's the thing. It's like if you watch the news, you just think the world is a really scary place. Right, right. Um, and so often when you go off 
out into the big wide world, it's not so much. I know. Usually. Right. Um, like, there's always events. But um, like you say, most people are cool. Yeah. And whether their color, their religion, they just want the same thing. Exactly. They their families up, happiness, roof over their head. Yep. And they're more than happy. You've come to their country, they they will open their doors for you. Oh, yeah. Man, we, yeah, in, in China, we, we befriended a family. They didn't speak English at all. We were trying, we you know, we were trying to learn Chinese. I, I still remember a few words, but not too much. But uh, they they uh, invited us into their home. Is this old? Did did you hear me tell this story before? Have I told this story on the podcast? They they we became we just you know we just got along. They were cool. It was weird because there was this huge language barrier, and we did have a um, a translator, but we just liked each other so they invited us over to their house us and the whole crew the makeup effects crew like 10 people in this old i mean it was like it was so old this little house they lived in it it was you know it was all these you know just a bunch of little kind of you know i don't even know how to describe it they they were like hundreds of years old i'm sure at least there were these really old houses, tiny little houses, and we all crammed in there. And they made the the crew, the American effects crew, like uh, like a ten course meal in this little tiny kitchen. And it was, and they knew I was um, vegetarian, so they they made all vegetarian stuff for me. And it was like the best Chinese vegetarian food I've ever had in my entire life. It was so good. They just treated us like we were, you know. Yeah. Kings, they were so nice to us. They, you know, they didn't have to do that. It was so cool, so cool, really yeah, amazing. And those sort of things, you, you know, those experiences you you do come across regularly when you travel. Um, I mean, we uh, we went down to to Yemen. Um, wow. Now it's, it's all a state of war and that, but. Um, the British consulate advised that we didn't go because there'd been quite a few kidnappings and so right. on. But with, with research, um, we saw that the kidnappings were often very, um, <clears throat> I don't know, kindly done, you know, because of the Bedouin hospitality. Oh, weird. <laughs> and all that, you know? Do you mind if and I kidnap they're... you for a bit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, so we're going to do, um, you're just a political tool, so we can do get what we want and, and that, and we'll treat you well. And normally the, the deaths occurred when the government blundered in and tried to release them. Oh, my God. So, um, but yeah, we went, we went down there twice, in fact. The first time we drove down, because um, we were working in Saudi, and it was an amazing experience. Um, very proud people. You know, they all carry a Kalashnikov. They've all got these curved daggers mm-hmm. called a jambir wow. um, on their belt, but they'd never kill anyone with that. Right. You know, it's just a, a pride thing. Um, and we went right over to the the uh, east side of the country through the desert. Um, but we did go through um, an area where there were lots of warlords. So we had an escort mm. um, take us through. And every 100, 100 kilometers we'd have to pay these guys with gats, you're, which is this leaf they do. You're brave. And, uh, you're brave. <laughs> we, we just sort of blundered into it, really, because 
we got to this town called Marib, and um, it's famous for Queen Sheba origins. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a lot there. You know, it's just uh, it's right on the cusp of the Rubal Kali, which is a massive desert, and there's nothing, just mm. sand drifting. And um, we got to this kind of windswept outpost where loads of soldiers were just milling around. And um, these two soldiers come up and uh, told us to get out of the car and um, gestured for us to follow them. And we walked up to the biggest building in the, the area and um, it was packed full of soldiers. But they weren't dressed like normal soldiers. They all wear skirts, but with a camouflage top and then a Kalashnikov and flip-flops. Wow. And um, we kind of had to go up to the top floor this three-story building, um, and all the way up each side of the stairway were soldiers. Like on each step, there was a soldier each side. So you're going through all these people, just me and me and Elaine, and um, we come to this big open room with a very large desk, and um, the top brass were sat at the desk, the generals and so on, the four of them, and uh, around the room it was all lined with soldiers. And we didn't know what, what we were there for. Um, we thought maybe we don't have the right paperwork or uh, maybe they're going to arrest us. We didn't know. So um, we walked up to the desk. They gestured for us to sit in front of the, the main dude. And um, he whispered to the guy next to him who disappeared. And we just sat there in silence with about 100 people, right, all in this room. And we're feeling quite awkward. And then this guy comes running back after five minutes with two ice-cold Cokes. Wow. <laughs> he put them in front of us. And that was like the real icebreaker. It was like this wow. was a gesture of hospitality. And, okay, it's friendly now. You know? Amazing. We didn't know at that point. Two Cokes it was symbolized by. And um, in the end, this guy starts speaking to us. He says, look, you're going to go through um, – a very dangerous area. There's lots of warlords and there's been kidnappings and ambushes and things like that. So I'm going to give you uh, an armed escort for the next 1,300 kilometers. Wow. <laughs> right on the other side of the desert. And um, he says, the first part is very dangerous, which is why there's loads of soldiers here. Um, so I'm going to give you a, it's like a land cruiser with this big cannon on top. And then... <laughs> two cop cars and then in our car we had two soldiers with guns right wow and we drove had to drive fast and uh once we got to about 100 kilometers we'd exchange the two guys in the car and then the rest of them peeled back and then we did the rest of it with usually one guy in the car so we kind of went all the way around and um we got right over to the other side stayed in this beautiful old palace in this um natural spring swimming with all these little frogs so they were doing the breaststroke next to us under <laughs> <laughs> the stars and it was really amazing like something out of Lawrence Arabia or right. and um, then we kind of got stuck through paperwork issues and eventually we were released and we had to go along the southern coast and um, one of these amazing things to witness but we got down to this town that I think had the Italians there for a while, mm. possibly someone was saying this, and they'd um, painted all the buildings in lovely pastel colours. So you had all these buildings going up the cliffs, 
in beautiful old crumbling pastel colours that have been bleached by the sun. And a tanker, a massive big ocean-going tanker, had crashed into the town. Wow. So you had these, all these, like, you can visualise that, yeah. like this really dry, dusty, flowery-coloured town with this big black leviathan that had come out of the sea and just crashed into wow. it big way. <laughs> And um, the people were slowly taking bits off it, salvaging bits that they could, but the hulk of it was like this immense thing towering right up there in this little tiny town. Just one of those things you chance upon, you know? Right, amazing. Um, but yeah, you could you could say, okay, well, it's dangerous. The British consulate says don't right. go there. And then you don't have these amazing experiences. That's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, that's you're still brave though <laughs> but uh so so okay I, but i i, I want to get back to your um uh i want to hear your your art your art story how you became because you know so many people on who listen to the show are uh, artists or aspiring artists and so it's always interesting to hear how people's paths how people took these paths to become fine artists because yeah. whether we're rolling in dough or not we're still living kind of this dream you know, that mo you know most <laughs> most people would love to live which is where you get to create artwork for your main source of for your living so um what was the path that, that got you there how did you get to be an, a, an yeah, independent fine um, artist yeah i've listened to like quite a few of your podcasts now and, and there's some guests that have had uh, a lot of industry experience mm -hmm. um, i wouldn't say i have Although I've been painting pretty much since I was 16, mm. on and off, you know. Um, That's so initially, um, I joined the Marines. I wanted to be an illustrator mm. in the Royal Marines. Um, my dad was in the Army, and I was quite interested in the sort of adventure side and seeing a bit of the world. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I liked a bit of a challenge, so I thought I'll try and do the commando course. And uh, I did. Pass How was it, that? And then it was bloody tough. I bet. I can't. <laughs> I I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, basically, it's thirty weeks long the course, and the first fifteen weeks you're training to become a, a marine, and then the last fifteen weeks you do the commando phase, which is um, more sneaky operations sort mm -hmm. of uh, sort of things. Um, the last two weeks is the commando tests ah. and you don't stop. So even when you're in the dinner queue, you have to run on, on the spot and you have this special little hat called a cap comforter. And once you wear that, you don't stop running. And the whole course finishes with a 30 mile march, oh which you have God. to do in eight hours. And it's like you have to map read and with a weapon and your webbing and you have to run over the, the Dartmoor and then you do a seven day exercise for which you cover 200 miles by foot mainly um, and then you do an attack on a fort and if you do all that then you pass wow um, so it was tough yeah, yeah. And, uh, 15, <laughs> 15 of us passed it out of uh, 55 and then you have injured people coming into your troops so about 80 people the 15 um but then you you feel like you're at the top of the tree and then you go to your fighting unit 
and you're right at the bottom again. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, you get bullied. Um, I remember they, me and this other guy from another troop, we were the new guys, and um, one night they grabbed us and we had to have a naked pillow fight against each other. Oh, my God. And, and uh, it wasn't just that, you know, they they shaved us, shaved, like, ready for battle, shaved my balls. Oh, my God. covered me in, like, black indelible marking pen. Holy shit. And then I had to beat the hell out of the other guy with all this crowd of, like, ravenous blows, shouts. That sounds like a nightmare, man. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like hell. It was. It was. And, and Doesn't sound fun at all. Effect, you know? Um, so, yeah, it was. That wasn't pleasant. Um, but... <laughs> I got my own back on them because uh, I was a good runner. And um, the lieutenant was a really nice guy. He made me the pace, pace man mm-hmm. one day. And um, the older guys always took pride in their fitness. And he made me the pace guy. And we had to do a, a nine-mile run. So um, I picked up the pace. I just took it in my stride. I was going faster and faster. And they couldn't keep up, and uh, nice. they all ended up straggling behind. <laughs> and they knew what they were doing, but they their pride, the fact they couldn't keep up, right? More, you know, so that's cool. Anyway, yeah. Um, so I joined, and then the illustration branch was going to disband. Um, so I did all that, and I thought, well, okay, I'm not sure what to do. I was home on leave, and I bumped into an old friend. And uh, he said, oh, Brad, I'm going off to art school. Um, and I said, oh, whereabouts? He said, Bristol. It's uh, technical illustration. That's the course he's doing. And um, I said, oh, well, I'm going to look into that. So I did. And the next minute I was on that course. So I left the Marines because I was coming up to 18. And um, it kind of tied in quite well. The course was... Um, pretty boring because it was technical illustration right no expression whatsoever right it was all about construct and draw things in meticulous detail but it um gave me the b-tech qualification to then go on and do pure illustration Mm. and um i got into falmouth falmouth school of art which is down in cornwall down the southwest of, of england and um i'd done a painting because there was a friend of mine, Matthew Healy, who was really fantastic, really gifted painter. And he got me into painting with oils at 16. Hmm. Um, so I was dabbling with them alongside my technical illustration um, and starting to kind of get the idea of what oils were about. And um, one of the paintings I did was me with my fingers in my friend's head right? So into his eye sockets. <laughs> and when I, when I went down for my interview, they were all keen on the work. They thought, I thought I was in, right? <clears throat> and then they saw that painting. And um, it also went quiet. And uh, they said, okay, all right, well, thank you, Brad. Um, we'll be in touch. And then about 10 days later, uh, the head of the faculty called my mum. And um, they wanted to understand my character and why I would paint something like that. It says, because we're down in Cornwall, it's, um, it's, a, it's quite a remote place. 
and the social community has to work together. And we wonder if Brad would fit into that social climate if he's painting disturbing scenes like that. <laughs> so my mum, my mum vouched for me and said, "No, he's a wonderful boy." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got, I got in. I wow. got in, and um, it was a really good course. Uh, you know, in a nice big art school down there in Cornwall, which was lovely. And um, at the end of it, you go up to London and you present your portfolio, because this was before internet. Right. And you take it into various agencies and things like that. And um, I ended up getting taken on by the art market in Covent Garden. And um, he was like a, an illustration agency that had about 30 guys on his books. Mm. And it was pretty much sort of on and off. I'd get nice commissions and then nothing, right. you know, for a while. Um, I did a, a really big billboard for British Telecom. That was wonderful. Hmm. Uh, senior work blown up like right. 15 meters all over the country. That's cool. And it paid really well. What was um, what was the illustration? It wasn't very exciting. It was just a big, you know, those handheld phones where you dial. Mm -hmm. So in the dial was a world, and it was kind of in space. It was pretty much the art director said, "We want this image in your style." Uh, and, and it was all that. it was uh, all two and a half. It was all painted. Painted. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, so at the time, I think I got three thousand quid for two and a half days' work, and that was over twenty odd years ago. So nice. Good money. That is good money. Um. And then I'd be earning nothing for a while. So yeah. I was kind of on and off the dole. And um, then uh, my wife got offered a job in Saudi Arabia. So um, we went over there and I kind of no longer did the illustration, um, but worked on my own work while I was there. Bigger canvases, kind of deserty colours, um, looking at sort of montage type work. Is it still? Is it? Was, uh, is it similar? Is it similar to your style mm -hmm. now? What you were doing then, or, or were you kind of developing that style that you're doing now? Mm -hmm. No, I was just playing with oils and layering, and um, almost like montages of various elements thrown together. Okay. Um, and I was really inspired by the landscape. You know, we go off camping a lot into the desert. And um, that would all come back into the the art. Mm. Then I started using my mind a bit more. Um, and then I, I was teaching a Saudi princess over there. Oh, really? At her palace. I must have yeah, been a trip. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was basically I, I had to get a portfolio of work together for her to go to America. Um, and she didn't have a clue. So I had to show her how to paint and how to draw and all did this. She, did she have any natural um, ability? No. Oh, my God. No. So but <laughs> it was kind of sad, really. It was kind of sad because she was this beautiful girl. I mean, she was 21, and um, her father was going to send her to America. And then he just changed his mind one day. Um, so oh, I must wow. have worked there for three months teaching her, building this portfolio up, really going for it, and then um, just all shelved. 
Oh, I, I think know. he was just worried to allow his beautiful daughter out of his clutches. You know, right. The Saudis are very controlling. Uh, so um, then um, we left Saudi with enough money to kind of buy a house in South Africa. Uh, and then we bought that house. Uh, I, I approached a gallery down there called um, Everard Reed, uh, which is a really nice gallery. Um, commercial. They've been going for uh, 103 years. So very, very established. Mm. And um, quite tough to get in because a lot of people want to get in, in, in on their scene. And he took me on and he said, uh, well, we'll see how the first six paintings go. And they all sold. And wow. um, I started building reputation with them. Um, so that kind of allowed us to live in South Africa pretty much on what I was painting and selling. And then um, over time, there was a Jewish fraternity in Cape Town, businessmen, entrepreneurs and so on, that started getting wind of what I was doing, who resonated with what I was painting. Hmm. So uh, they'd, they'd come down on the way. Because where we lived, it was halfway between Port Elizabeth and Cape Town in a lovely touristy area. Hmm. So they'd go through, pull into my studio, see what I was painting, and then buy a few pieces. And that's when I started to explore more what I'm doing now. Really. Hmm. Wow. Um, but I could paint much bigger over there. Right. Um, it's hard to, was, it's harder to sell big paintings, though. Over there, it was okay. I mean, um, yeah, if you're going through a gallery, too, I guess it's, you know, back then. Yeah, it's easier I, to... a meter and a half was quite often. A meter and a half was the usual size, which oh, now wow. would be really big. Yeah. Wow. Because um, they've got, you know, a lot of big houses over there that want the walls covered with the right. works. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, so, uh yeah, I kind of worked with Everard Reed for 10 years. Um, but then when I went to China, it sort of severed things. Yeah. Because art's quite patriotic. Well, it was in South Africa. They tend to support South African artists. Mm. But the moment you leave, you're out of the, the, the vision, right. out of the view. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it sort of severed things, really. Um, and then from China, we went to here. Wow. I'm trying to rekindle things things here so what how um how long have how long have you been shown with copro well that was um i mean you mentioned uh dostiablos earlier mm -hmm. so he started following me on facebook i think a couple of years ago and said uh oh you must uh you must contact chip <laughs> see if you can get into copro so um, I, I wrote to you, I think, a couple of times, and then uh, I didn't hear anything back. Oh, I'm sorry. And I said to George, I said, uh, well, I don't know. It must be busy chat or whatever. I just didn't, didn't hear back. So um, then you did. I think you did write back. and They slip by sometimes. You showed I can't keep them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I know, I know. <laughs> and then I, I think you showed it to Gary, and then Gary contacts me. And the next one, I was in the Dark Arts show, the first one. Right. So that was only a year ago. Wasn't oh. it? Just over a year ago. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought for, I mean, I, I've got, 
you know, I don't really have um, any memory of, of doing any of that because <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I don't have a great memory to start with. And it's just like, I'm, you know, you know me, I'm I'm always going and doing all this stuff and I'm just barely hanging on by the seat of my pants. So I'm just like, you know, trying to make things happen here, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like once it's over, it's like it's out of my head. But um, so I thought maybe you had shown there uh longer but i know gary gary's a like a huge fan of your work he talks you know he's gary's very he's not uh super expressive you know he doesn't like get excited about artists that much he's very low-key he's cool but he's just very low-key kind of guy but but he's always been really like uh excited about your work like he really really loves it you it's know nice. it's nice to know. um yeah i know you from what i gathered from listening to your podcast you like juggling some balls really yeah yeah it's ins- crazy um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just like you know it's expensive to live in la it's, so it's like i gotta you know i gotta keep i gotta keep making money so it's like yeah it's not easy yeah yeah um but you've got the right scene over there yeah I know. Uh, which is quite far, really. Why, why is there a dark art scene in one of the strangest places in the world? I know. It's weird. <laughs> it's it's totally weird. Uh, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, you know, maybe uh, art critics in the future will figure it out. It's weird. It's, it's you know, there's, I think there's a lot of different things that converge sort of um, in LA, which there's, you know, the entertainment industry. And, um, that's, that's kind of part of it. And the whole lowbrow scene kind of, you know, started on the West coast, I believe. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an extension of that, the pop surrealism thing. I don't, but I don't know, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I don't really, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's more like, yeah, it's just, it's fun to think about, you know, it's interesting. It's curious, but, um, yeah. But it just it's... because it's like when, um, well, when Gary said, you know, come into this, that uh, I want to put you in this show, and then I saw it was the Dark Art Society show, I didn't really know much about dark art, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, my work people have often seen and say, they'll say, oh, it's quite dark, and you know, you've had the same sort of things, I'm sure. Yep. Don't you want to paint happier things? <laughs> yeah, um, I never really saw it as that dark. Right. Um, I mean, there's some people that do chopped up bodies and guts. Right. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's not really quite what I want to do, but um, I suppose <clears throat> I wasn't really familiar with dark art per se. So um, I started looking it all up, and yeah, I thought, yeah, I fit quite quite well into that show, and it was it was interesting to see what other people were doing, and right. um, yeah, it's it's quite a nice, vibrant community, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's great. I'm I'm so glad that um you know I'm 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 glad that you're you're part of it too because I think you um I don't know you offer something that that's unique you know and it's and it's it's not I I like I like work that within this community that is you know can kind of kind of be looked at either way. Like you're saying, it's like it's not too dark, but it but it's like it's got enough darkness for people that are into dark art to like. But it's also not so dark that you know a normal person can't like it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, that's that's kind of how I. 
<laughs> that's kind of how I see it anyway. But, uh, but uh, I don't know. I just, you know, the whole dark art thing is really just a way for us to try and get some headway and, and promote ourselves because it's like, where else, I mean, where would you fit? Where else would you fit? Where would I fit if, if not in the dark art scene for what I'm doing? It's like, I don't know where I'd even try go to, you know? No. Um, yeah, and you, you do have to kind of think, like, when you look at a gallery, you think, well, do I fit there? Right. You have to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You've got to sort of know yourself a little bit. I mean, there, there's some artists that I look at and I think, yeah, they don't quite fit. Like um, Pete, Pete Ferguson, do you know his work? I think mm, his no. name is. Pete Ferguson. Rock LaRue. Um, no. Shows up at Rock LaRue. Does really interesting imagery. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll, I wouldn't yeah, say I'll, really fit. I'll have to look him up. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you just do your, your innate thing, don't you? Yeah. It yeah that is whatever yeah it's like um, you know because you, you were saying like you felt you were in control like when you were growing up when you were younger that you could escape and be in control of these beasts right that you were in charge of right instead of being so, scared of them it was like i was became their master yeah yeah it's a it was a cathartic thing for you really so. yeah to unwrap right. release. Um, I think, I mean, I've, I've always been pretty optimistic, but I mean, I've had some dark experiences mm. in my life and I don't know whether that's fed into the work. Um, like in I'm South optimistic Africa, too. Yeah, we, I've always been optimistic as well. Yeah. I'm very, yeah. up, I'm an upbeat person, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to, it's, it's like... It's not, I don't know. It's like, uh, like most, most of, you know, from what you've heard, most of the people that, that are interviewed on the show that, that do dark work are, are upbeat. Most of them that have been on here anyway, are very upbeat and positive kind of people. So it's another just interesting yeah. thing that, you know, it doesn't really matter why it's just, you know, it could be a weird mutation, some genetic <laughs> mutation in us that we're just attracted to maybe, that. Maybe or, if they didn't do it. If they didn't do it, they'd be really messed up. Here. Yeah, right. <laughs> it could be that too. But it's just yeah. a funny. That's that's really that thread is that's probably the most common thread I think I've seen I've had with all these interviews is everyone's pretty nice and kind of positive and upbeat. Yeah. You know, it's pretty rare to get. I don't. Yeah. I can't think of anybody that's been on that's been like. I don't know, a downer or aggressive or, you know, or negative mm -hmm. or nihilistic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a, a spiritual side in your work as well. I'd mm. say I, I do have that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, you've done psychedelics um, and that does influence how you think forever. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't done too many, but um, the San Pedro experiences, the two that I have done, uh, I often reflect on as amazing, fantastic, eye opening right. experiences. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think 
that does definitely seep into the work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, um, I, I feel like the, the, the psychedelic experience has been like, it, it affects, it affected my, it affects my work or it has affected my work. It, but it's really been like more of a, a personal influence and it affect, affected my work that way. It's not so much like it changed how I see things I mean, or, or like it didn't give me different ideas to paint really like directly it's more like it changed me and opened my eyes up to a, like a greater spiritual awareness and ultimately that's going to affect your artwork whereas a guy like alex gray he's painting directly the visions he's seen while he was tripping you know for me it hasn't been like mm-hmm. you, you know i i think if people would think like oh he did psychedelics and he paints these weird crazy monsters they might think that you know that was a result of the the monsters but it's really not you know i was doing that stuff before i you know, ever since i was a kid i was doing the basically the same kind of stuff going for really weird yeah. you know but i think it's just changed yeah, my approach had... to how i think about painting and yeah. everything more like wider you know yeah 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 i can see that um but you're not paying trippy scenes right but kind i mean they are in a way. I mean, they're surreal in a way, you know, in the same way you've got, you know, this kind of surrealism in yours. Um, but it's not like I'm yeah. looking at them and in my head and then trying to paint I them. Suppose, yeah. The surrealism stems from how you've been seeing the world, then you do a psychedelic and you suddenly see things in a different way. Right. And that's that real element. Um the last, the last one I did was in um, the Fold Mountains of uh, the Swartberg Range in South Africa. I'd already done one experience at the Africa Burn, mm-hmm. which is a bit like the Burning Man Festival, but it's smaller scale. Mm-hmm. You get about 5,000 people. And it's in what you call the Tankwa uh, Karoo, which is the desert uh, national park. It's very barren. Um, that was an amazing experience. And then the second time... I went to the mountains with someone that's really dear to me, but he would never want me to say that he was doing it because he right. would feel a little bit um, more people to know that he did it. Right. But um, we did it together and uh, got a crack of dawn, had an ice cold bath in this pool, this stream in the mountains. And um, at the time I had a cold and it felt like the cold was in one side of my head. Uh-huh. Like a bit of congestion. And um jumped out of this ice cold pool and felt invigorated, but I could still feel this congestion. And it takes about what forty minutes for right. it to really kick in, doesn't it? And you kind of think, is it gonna work? The doubts right. creep in a bit, but um we're gonna see. And um I was with this fellow and um he started getting interested in and and I thought it was kicking in for him. Wait, wait, wait. It hadn't really worked for me. So I. Well, well, say that again. You cut out there what? for a second. Uh, you, you cut out. Um, he was getting he was getting interested in looking at ants. Oh, at ants. Okay. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, they were really fascinating to him. So I thought, okay, I'll leave him and I'll walk off and do my own thing, which still hadn't really kicked in. And I was just being this congestion. And um, I started hearing a grasshopper, right? And I could hear it quite a way up this valley, this green valley that was going up to these mountains. 
And then slowly, I could see three wavelengths, right? Coming this song from the grasshopper, there's three wavelengths. The top one and the bottom one, I couldn't understand. But the middle one was a language. And it was tuning in with something in me. And it was guiding me through all these scrubby bushes and over the rocks to somewhere. I don't know why it was taking me there. But I was still aware of this call. And um, I kind of went through these bushes and there was these uh, flowers, a big patch of flowers that looked a bit like chamomile, like large daisies. And the grasshopper was saying, lay in there. So I did. And it was menthol, right? And right. I inhaled and it seemed to clear my head in an instant, right? And it was like, wow. That's so amazing. And as I did, this wind came up the valley and lifted all my hair up. And I was like, Jesus or something. And I felt <laughs> like it had been cleared out of me, right? So um, then the, the wavelength was still going on and it was guiding me further up, uh, up further up this narrow ravine. And um, there was a tree that was very small in size, probably maybe two meters high. And it was like a jellyfish in the way it hang its tendrils down. So its branches touched the ground and you had to part them mm. to get into the trunk. But I had to be naked to go in there, right? So it was like it's going back to the, the womb. So I took all my clothes off and I parted these branches and went in. And it was like an altarpiece, a small slab of uh, limestone that was perfect for sitting on. So I sat down, I felt the coolness under my thighs and... Um, placed my hand on the tree trunk and it was like the the body was starting to meld with the tree so which then took me down through my blood vessels through the the trees kind of um all through the the roots into the dark damp cooler wet places that it was in this dry stream bed and i then it sort of clicked right so i was all connected Wow. And then a little bird came and the little bird sat about a meter from my face and it started vibrating in this weird way like a bee does when uh -huh. it signals to other bees about the waggle dance. And then another bird, and there were nine birds that came in and they were all singing and all vibrating like that as I was connected to this Holy tree. Holy shit. Laughing at my... <laughs> it's fucking amazing. <laughs> but still feeling this deep connection to the earth through the tree and through my feet going into the ground. And um, it was really, really um, quite a profound experience. Yeah. And then birds left and, uh, and that was that. I went back outside into the glaring sun and slowly worked my way down to the bottom of the valley and met up with my friend and then we shared a campfire and talked about our experience together under the stars. And it was, it was really amazing. It, it's a, yeah, that's, um, a, you, you have a, an experience like that and you can't, I mean, you can explain the story, but you can't make someone understand what, what you, the experience you had. Cause I've had stuff like that as well, especially with, you know, I've had kind of a similar experience out in the woods like that where it was like, you know, 
follow that bird. The bird takes me to this thing. And it's like, and it's just like when it happens, you're, you're the whole time I was going, this is impossible, I'm, but I'm going with it. You know, there's no way, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way. And it's like, it's happening though. It's physically happening. You can't deny it. And uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's like you said, it changes you. You can't ever go back to seeing reality the same when something like that happens. Whether you yeah, you kind of tuned in for that deeper resonance. Yeah, the, the you, power of the earth or you know, there's something there. You may not become a full blown, you know, religious person or something, but you get you get a sense that there's there's just something deeper in everything. Yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah. Like, there's no yeah. question about it. It's not like maybe there's something deeper. It's like there's definitely something deeper. You know, in everything. You know, and you know it when you have that experience. You know it, and you can kind of. I feel like I can never go back to not thinking that. No, no, it's that's it. It's like the Pandora's box. You can't yeah. put it back in. It's <laughs> you've opened your mind to it. thinking, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible, though. I love hearing those stories. It's it's the magic, man. Yeah. It's the magic. Yeah, I quite miss, miss all that. Like since being in Ireland, we haven't really had those kind of experiences connecting to the earth in a big way. I mean, there's a lovely, um, there's a lovely heathland near here. Um, it's only four, four miles away. And um, it's an old British army camp that used to cover a large swathe of land. And then um, the camps become largely, well, it's more of a UN base now. Mm-hmm. They have a defense force here. It's reduced in size, but they've just allowed all the grounds to um, allow the people, public, just to wander over it. And it's been nibbled at by sheep. So if you can imagine, it looks like someone's gone over it with a fine lawnmower, where you could almost bowl on it. And it's all it is, it's the teeth of the sheep all doing that all day long. (laughs) (laughs) And it's lovely and it's that that's just amazing to imagine that it's kept like it is you're seeing what it is because of those little teeth all munching away that's amazing and um all these trees and on there there's loads of magic mushrooms growing really loads they've just the season's just been and gone so um, crazy maybe at some point i'll uh, i'll do one up there yeah i mean this you you know you're in the land of sprites and fairies and leprechauns and all that <laughs> yeah. shit man it's like i'm you know there and i'm sure there's plenty to experience in ireland man <laughs> yeah. Yeah. very green and and you know lush and if you ever make it this way you're welcome to to come and stay oh cool yeah i would love to man I'd love to. My, I know, like I said, my wife. That's one of her goals in life is to go to Ireland at some point. So it's hopefully it'll happen. Um, so thank you. But I, I, what what what's a? I mean, what do you do? You have like a, a like a an aim or a goal that you're working on with your work? Are you are you just kind of doing like? you know, painting and whatever you paint, that's what you paint. Or do you see it as part of like a series or is how, how, how do you approach that? Yeah. Um, 
I I tend to just do what I want to do. Um, there's always shows popping up, and then you can kind of fit the piece to a show. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've just done one for um, Mortal Machine Gallery, Gabriel Schaefer. Where, where's He's that? Done a show in December, uh, New Orleans. Oh, okay. Um, Mortal Machine. Yeah, I don't know them. So I've just had for that. Um, and the, the premise for that piece goes back two years ago because I was invited to a show in uh, South Africa to do with Bosch coming to Africa. Like oh, Bosch that sounds Africa, amazing. So. And um, I thought, yeah, it's going to travel to Europe. It's going to travel around South Africa over a year and a half. And uh, some big names, and it would have been an amazing show. And then um, the piece took two months to get there, got there just in time, but the curator became quite sick, oh, no. and the whole thing was shelved. So I got the painting back, um, and I thought, no, this could work. So it's been in a tube. No one's seen it. It's not been shown. It's been in a tube now for, for almost two years. And then I brought it out, looked at it with fresh eyes. It's always good to do, isn't it? And you yeah. see the mistakes and things yep. like you're doing changing. And I thought, no, this could work. So as it's in New Orleans, um, this is like this wayward clog from the Mardi Gras, like one of the floats mm -hmm. that's ended up in hell. And um, oh, cool. these little musicians on it as it's drifting through hell. That was, I mean, that's been probably five or six weeks' work right. to, to finish it. Right. Um, and I always thought, well, I don't know where that will go, but to this show. But then I'm working on small aluminium pieces now. I don't know if you've tried aluminium. Yeah. Um, as a medium to, to work. That's my favorite thing to and paint it's, on it's, now. Yeah, and it's so, so subtle, isn't it? Because it's so smooth. Right, but um, you can also well, bake um, them in the oven. That's what I like, is you could put them in an oven to to make your layers dry faster, and it doesn't warp like wood. Really? Yeah. Cool, that sounds like Earth's nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, if if it's like a night before, if it's a night, I was just talking about this, if it's a night before a show, and uh, I've got like, the way I paint, especially when I'm finishing, is I'll do layers and I need them to dry and I'll do another layer. It's like a lot of layers. And so it's like I've got it to where I can get the paint to dry in like 30 minutes because it's, if it's thin enough. Because you, um, you use liquid, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Are you using a medium? Yeah. Well, um, I've always used liquid for the last 20 years. And then uh, I was chatting to um, a friend recently. And he suggested to try linseed oil. Have you tried it? Um, yeah. So the last piece I did for Copro, that on the couch piece, mm -hmm. um, I used entirely there. I used uh, linseed oil. How did you like it? Um, I, I like it, but you have to subtly shift them because it, it's a lot more runny. Right. It actually bleeds down. The, if you put too much on, it slides. Right. Because um, it takes two days to dry. But what is nice, you work away. I, I don't paint at night. So as soon as the daylight's gone, that's it. I finish. Um, but sometimes I'm just in the flow. Right. I'm really in there. And then the next day, I'll come back and I can still work away on it into the wet paint. Oh, that's nice. It yeah. Takes, yeah to... 
Um, I try and that. I noticed that the, the the glazes look richer as well. Oh, really? Like, you really get like um, a lovely gloss of depth to the right. paint. Um, it's funny because I. Oh no! I just I you know six months ago I bought a couple different types of linseed oil because I was going to try that and I just haven't. I mean, I've painted, I've tried it a couple times. I've actually done a painting using linseed oil, but um, it never dried fast enough for me because I'm always rushing. But I'm at a point now where I, you know, I definitely would, I kind of would prefer to use linseed oil if if I could, you know, make it work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I flit, I'm trying back to uh, liquid again on the aluminium. So what I'm doing is I'm putting about, four or five layers randomly on the aluminium. No priming, because it's anodized, it's okay anyway. And then I'll... Oh, no gesso? Like, no. Oh, no, cool. Straight aluminium. Oh, that's cool. On the yeah. And um, then, if you imagine, say, you drip a bit of... a tiny drop of turps on it, disperses it, and it forms a ridge of paint that would right. be so minuscule. But what happens when you then come to do your painting and you take the palette knife and you scrape along very gently, like you could do that 20 times. So each time you're taking a tiny, tiny bit of paint off. Right. When it hits, hits the, the ridge, you know, it will expose that. And then you can use like um, really, really fine sandpaper. Right. Just take the glaze down one tone. So you start to kind of really get um, very, very subtle tones in there and then you can glaze again and yeah it's building the layers up really so i've got about four pieces on the go that just randomly going somewhere but i don't know where that's awesome um i don't i don't really plan anything anymore like all those pieces for GoPro, i just went straight in and painted oh wow and um, there was no, no drawings up front oh wow um and when you work on like a, a random speckled surface, things get suggested. Yeah, I love that. Thing. Yeah, and it is. It's exciting. It's fun. It's not like, yeah, okay, well, uh, there's my drawing now. I've got to grid it up and go through the motion yep. of coloring it in. Right. It's that you're in that dialogue with the medium, with your heart, with your knowledge yeah. you've gained slowly. And it all comes together in this lovely kind of orchestral thing. And right. it's really nice that, especially sometimes, you know, when you're into music, a certain track comes on that channels through that as mm -hmm. well. And it's all like this big dance. And I, I love painting like that when you're in that zone. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they just evolve, really. Um, right. And eventually get there. But sometimes they can take too long. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Commercial actors, yeah, yeah. The best, but... So, Chet, do you enjoy doing these? Chats? What's that? You enjoy doing these chats? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's weird because I don't feel like I'm well suited to it. You know, just because I'm not organized and I'm not good at speaking. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's really weird. I just. Which is kind of part of the reason. I, I, I'd say contrary to that, you, it kind of just flows along, doesn't it? Well, I'm working. 
yeah, I'm working in a format that that suits me, I guess, which is I can have a conversation with someone, like a genuine conversation, but like as a professional interviewer, I'm sure I'd be terrible just because I'm not, you know, I'm not quick. I'm not quick with my, with my, uh, you know, I can't speak well, just like right now I can't express myself. I've always been that way. And so, <laughs> so in a way I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, the worst person to be doing this, but I've managed to figure out how to, how to make it work for me, play to my strengths, I guess. Um, but it really is my only social life really. <laughs> like I don't, I just, and, and it's not, I'm not saying that to, you know, be, have people feel sorry for me. Cause I'm, I'm happy that way. I'm it's like, I like to be alone, me and my wife, you know, the, it's, it's great. My life is great, but I do, you know, um, I do enjoy having some kind of a social life and it's like, I get to talk to all these artists I admire and it's kind of like, it's, it's what, you know, regular people have normal social lives and go out and hang out with people, go to dinner and stuff. This is like my version of that. So, so I, I, I satisfy that, um, that need to talk to other people basically, you know, so I do enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. It's great. It's amazing. It's just, because I mean, it is a, it's a very solitary pursuit, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have to kind of be okay with it. Otherwise, you just can't be a painter. Yeah, right. Because you're on your own a lot in your own head. Yep. And you've got to be comfortable with that. Right. Um, it's part of the job. I do. Of. I do. I do miss. Like, did you? You didn't go through college, did you? No. 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 No, that seems like, I mean, I wish it's I had. Nice. Seems like that would have been really yeah, fun. I mean, it is. It's fun and it's nice sharing the space with loads of other creatives. And uh, that's why I've loved doing residencies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't really do them now because, you know, Elaine's teaching full time and I've got three kids. But the ones I have done have been incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I bet. And so varied, you know, so... I mean, the one over on the west coast of Ireland was just this retreat, more so, just in this little stone cottage right on the seafront. That's amazing. You man. see every kind of rain in a week. So cool. Um, then there's the German one down in Hohenstein, which was this village of, I think, 58 buildings and a castle in the middle. Oh, my God. In part of Bavaria. <laughs> Sounds like heaven. Um, Bavaria. Yeah, and you're surrounded by. Um, miles and miles of beech trees that were going through the various chains of color through mm -hmm. the seasons and it was like magic there i i, I, I walked over 300 kilometers while i was there just through these forest trails and, wow and then in the evening you know you'd sit around a dinner table and you'd share dinner and wine with your hosts and the other artists and it was lovely right you know, you're really tapping into things that feel rewarding right and, um, I can't miss that, you know, when you're just in your studio on your own. Um, yeah, it would be nice to do more than in an ideal world. Yeah, I mean, that's, before it was, for me, it was the art shows were my social life, really. You know, one, yeah. once I got out of effects, when I was in the effects business, that was my social circle. It's like, those are the people I knew, my fr I was friends with and I hung out with. Um, and then when I got out of that, I kind of left that all behind and I sort of made a whole bunch of new friends in this, uh, in the art scene from going to art shows. And, um, and 
I, I just kind of stopped going as much before COVID really. I mean, I still, I would still go to openings that I was in and stuff, but I used to go to all the art shows and, um, I don't know my default, my default position is, is being alone in the studio. <laughs> and, um, I'm just, I'm, I, uh, I'm really comfortable with it. I don't know. My mom was the same way she used to tell me she was like very comfortable being alone and, and, um, yeah. you know, but, but it's yeah. like, it's sort of like the, the podcast is good for me because if, if I was left to my own devices, I would probably, you know, just cut off just cause that's my tendency, you know? So it like keeps me social and, you know, keeps me, <laughs> keeps me alive in a, in a social yeah. sense, you know? And it feels good to talk yeah, to Yeah, I mean, with COVID, it's really just the sin, isn't it? And a lot of those shows have just moved online. Right. Um, I don't know when it's going to change, but hopefully it will at some point. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a while, though. Some... I don't know if it's ever going to go f- mm. fully back to what it was, though. I think things, I don't think, I can't imagine people ever shaking hands again. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you people will just not be shaking hands. I don't know. We'll see after there's a vaccine. It might be all good. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, here it's uh, cases are coming down, but largely people are following the rules. Yeah, well, we're having like, we're having our yeah. biggest days of it, and it's going to get worse, they're saying. So I'm staying in. I'm we- not- you could kind of see that's the way it would have gone. I know all these rallies going on, people out protesting, and it was crazy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just saw. Yeah, I just saw. uh, They were showing pictures of like people celebrating in the streets because of the Biden win, and everyone had masks on. And then they showed people protesting the Trump people all pissed off. None of them had masks. They're right (laughs) next to each other. It was a huge crowd of people. Like. It's so weird. So it'll be a, it's so it'll weird. Be a mass pulling of Republicans soon, then. Yeah, I know. The problem is they spread them to other people, though. That's the problem. It's like they spread it all around everybody else. So it's like, you know, okay, I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay in my studio, get my shit done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we're quite used to it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you know, I've been saying all along we're kind of built for it, really. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I started doing live streaming on my Patreon too, painting live stream, which has become kind of a social thing as well. Cause I'm talking to people and they're watching me paint. And, um, so it's, it's, you know, it's been bad in a lot of ways, but it's also opened up new avenues. Do you feel comfortable doing that? Uh, do you paint? naturally with an audience watching you know uh, i actually now i do because I, I i've done i used to do live painting events just back when i was trying to establish myself so you know i'd go to there'd be these art art party shows uh one of them was an alex gray benefit for their for cosm you know their their art church thing and um right uh and so I, you know, after you do it, it's uncomfortable at first when people are watching you or I found it very uncomfortable, but I just would kind of get in the zone and, um, just kind of got over it eventually after I did it enough times. And now it's, I feel, I don't know, confident enough to, to pull it off. I know that I can 
pull it together, even if it looks like shit, you know, <laughs> while people are watching. <laughs> um, do, do you have quite a formula then? So are your demonstrations always kind of going through that? process well you know i don't you know i haven't done a. I, i've been doing these live streams to test out my setup so i just have been i just you know kind of put a canvas up or a panel up and just started painting a character and i'm trying to loosen up i'm trying to paint more like you know you do and like dos diablos does uh, the people that have been been inspiring me lately i'm trying to get back to that because i used to paint like that to where it's just like i'm going to kind of let it develop as it goes because I got really, um, really into planning things out and being efficient and trying to do it, you know, and I got good at that. And so now it's like, okay, I'm satisfied. I got to that point. Now I'm going to go back to sort of my roots and get and loosen up. And uh, so I haven't done any planned out step by steps yet, but I'm going to, my next thing I'm going to stream is going to be like a, an a la prima demo. Um, cause some people were asking about that on the Patreon. So, um, so I'm going to do that for like my monthly tutorial. I mean, do, do you find like, I find sometimes things will just the magic flies and it really works. There's other times where you can be battling for ages. Oh, it's terrible. You've got an audience watching it. I know, I know. That's, you know what though, this, this one that I, that, that I'm painting now. It kind of like start t last night. I, I just live streamed it, and it kind of um, finally started settling into like, okay, this is something I'm feeling good about. But the f it started off completely different, and I went through like a couple different versions of it. So I, I didn't feel that uncomfortable about it. You know, I was telling people, you know, it's gonna paintings always look like shit at some point. You, you know, if you you just have to get used to used to it. It's just. It's hard to stop a painting when it looks bad. Sometimes you have to stop though, and you know it's going to look good, and you know when it gets over to here. But you have to stop for the day for whatever reason. It's so unsatisfying to leave a painting that looks ugly or looks bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is a very intriguing thing to do though, because no one painting is the same as the next. Right. So the process of eating it is as well because. I found sometimes, you know, when you're working on a large piece, this bit really might work well. Right. And then this bit what might work well, but you've got to tie it together. Yeah, right. And um, then you can get that whole precious thing going. And you can, oh, well, I've spent 15 hours. Right. On it. I don't <laughs> want to fuck it up. Yeah. And then, then something shifts in your whole thing, and then it gets clunky, and it doesn't work. Yeah. And then you go through that, and then you just sort of think, actually, bollocks to this. I'm just going to go and do something. And you do something quite radical. Right. Like I did this painting called um, Two Friends, and it's working on this character where he's got like a mask of skin on his face already. Mm. And then through these circles here, which are two different sizes, you can see sort of like teddy bear eyes underneath. Oh, cool. So, But his nose... And his mouth are part of the skin mass. Uh -huh. And then on his shoulder, he's got this yellow canary that's larger than lifestyleized, stinging its heart out. So the idea was that um, people often judge on your appearance. Animals don't. Right. And they just get that sense that you're a 
a decent sort of person right. or there's a good vibe about you. And um, so the birds land on his freakish thing's shoulder and sing in a way. And in so doing, it's released something in the character and this like blue light is shooting up out the side of his head. Oh, cool. Like, and a crack of a smile just appearing. That's great. Um, but that blue was done in two big vigorous marks, bush, bush. And it was put over some work on the face that I've been working on for like 20 hours. Right. Um, so, like, <laughs> it's hard to do. Go at this. <laughs> it's hard to do. Yeah. Like I said, though, you're a brave, went, you're so. a brave guy. <laughs> like I said before, you're brave. <laughs> so that, yeah. that, that brings up an interesting point. Um, uh, how, how do you approach the meaning of your work? Are you intentionally putting, you know, coming up with an idea and trying to express it? Or is it like you kind of discover the meaning as you go along? Or is it both? Um, it depends, really. I used to do very, very layered um, storylines with mm -hmm. subplots mm -hmm. appearing. Um, I did one. Uh, and I had this yellow cabinet in the middle of the, the painting. It's quite a large piece, a meter forty. And um, this one character had that shirt part on peep, you know the the pipe. So it's mm -hmm. relating to this forest fire that got caught in in America. And um, on the table there was a loot that was burning hmm. and loot as in money. So that related to another painting that I'd done called the looters on the table. And it was playing with that. And then bringing it back, um, the guy wearing some apparent peep, that was the fire, but the trousers that he was wearing were these tartan trousers. So yeah. when we got caught up in the forest fire, all our clothes were burnt and we had to get kitted out in a charity shop in a place called Seaside. Wow. Carmel. Wow. And um, it was near a golf resort. So they had loads of golf clothes. <laughs> and I looked like a 1970s golfer. <laughs> they had these big flares, corduroy jacket, and these big time flares. Oh, my God. And, um, they were, those were my clothes I had to live in for a week. So <laughs> that piece, that guy has got those time trousers on. So there's that relation to my life. Right. But then bigger plot about religion and there was this idol at the top with this stairway going all the way up and it was shaped like Y so it was like a crucifixion but it was Y mm -hmm. and um, no one was going up the stairs they were all just hanging around below ah. so like a, a sort of suggestion of you know those sorts of things that people aren't following religion anymore right so there were about five or six subplots within that piece and then sometimes it can be you're exploring um, just more about texture. Right, uh, right. Or a spiritual feeling. Um, I've often had um, little birds appear in my work. Um, things being held, like love. Mm -hmm. And that sort of, often a freakish beast with something that it's caring for. Mm -hmm. So it goes back that judgment of appearance, I suppose, again, and that sense of a deeper kind of thing inside. Right. 
So, um, so, but, but I mean, yeah. for, okay, for this, uh, for, for this painting you, you, uh, talked about with your, with your flares and, and all that, <laughs> was that, <laughs> was that the idea when you started it or did you just kind of start painting and then it just turned into that? It turned into that. Yeah. Okay. So I put around loads of blobs and um, inky, uh, random shapes and then that started to form the guy's hair. And then I manipulated that and changed it into a face and then elongated the body. And then it started to build. And right. I think, well, that's really dark black. It'd go really nice with a very striking yellow. So what would fit there and that sort of shape. And and then you start to build it. It's like a storyline that evolves as you go along. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with the on the couch pieces, there's always going to be the couch. And I've done seven of them. Mm-hmm. seven paintings and then what characters go in that evolves through that dialogue thing we're talking about right so so it's kind of like a your it's it's you know your it's it's a way of well the way i view it too is uh with my own work is that it's it's like it's a way of talking to yourself speaking to your subconscious or letting or letting your subconscious mm-hmm say the thing whatever yeah. is in there and, and and you're kind of organizing it in some way yeah 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 um yeah it's like starting with with random chaos and then slowly honing things mm-hmm. and shaping um but still allowing that when it gets overworked it's like a manicured garden it doesn't quite work for me i like right. a bit of i like loose mark and i like a scruffy bit there right because real life you know doesn't yeah. always look pushed um, no, i love that too i mean i admire the skill of someone that can paint like a photograph but it's more to me like a meditation i can imagine they go through as they're doing it the end result doesn't really appeal to me right i'd rather see a bit more expression and, yeah yeah and that sort of thing yeah yeah um, you know i had a weird thought um, about painting the other day and I haven't thought yeah. much about it, so it might be, I might be full of shit. But what I was thinking, uh, uh, paintings are like, okay, the actual paintings when you're done are like corpses, and they're alive when they're being painted. The life of the painting is the painting process, and it's like they're like yeah. corpses of you creating an idea. <laughs> so, I mean, it, was, it doesn't mean yeah. anything, but it was just a, an interesting way of looking at painting that I never thought of is like these, these artifacts, these they're like, and it's not that they're dead necessarily, but they are kind of like, to me, the, the life in the painting is when it's happening. That's what it's all about for me. It's the painting, the painting part. And it's when it's done, it's like you know that's for someone who wants to that's a collector to have but i've i'm not you know i'm not that interested in in it when it's done it's like i'd rather someone who enjoys it can enjoy it because i'm enjoying the painting part yeah yeah i remember you saying that and at the time when you said it i thought no that's not quite the way i feel because i know a lot of artists who don't feel that way yeah, you're in this dialogue with your subconscious thing. Um, so you're a bit like a, a pictorial diary that's being right. dragged up, 
dragged up from your deeper self. And it's recorded. And when you, like I look back at certain paintings, I remember the feelings when I did that painting and things that were Mm -hmm. pertinent to that time. Um, So it's kind of nice. There's a familiarity. Oh, yeah. Having your work around and when you're gone, it's sort of like if you're in it, have you been in that position where you've been preparing for a solo and it's all building around you and it's comforting? And then when yeah. it's gone and it's bare and you walk in the next day, you kind of feel a bit bewildered. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Do I have to build it all up again? Right. Um, and then it does. That's the, that's a the bit t- like uh, fires just landscape. And then those little seedlings. That's the fun to me. That that's the part that that's the most fun is like, not is the blank canvas and having like, what's it going to be? What am I going to do? It's this. That's the fun (laughs) part for me. It's like, I love to. I just love to make. I love to paint so much that you know. I like. I mean, of course, I like my paintings. I I paint them to be something I would like to look at. You know, so I love them. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of my own paintings, I think, because I'm like I said, I'm trying to make something I think would be really cool. And um, but I just I don't have that that attachment to where it's like, you know, I have to hold. There's been a few a couple maybe that I've I actually it's funny. Now I'm trying to hold on to pieces a little bit more. Now, because I've sold everything that I've done for the most part, so I don't have anything, you know. I but it's more like I got to hold on to a few of these, so I like pick a few of my favorites, and I've been trying to hold on to them. Um, but it's still, it's not. I just don't. I don't spend a lot of time looking at them. It's it's for me. It's just like I, I want to paint. I'm just dying. I'm always want to paint. Well, then, <laughs> how about this thing? Because you enjoy the painting process, but the end result is an image. Right. So. Sometimes you're falling more in love with the image, but sometimes you're falling more in love with the way it's painted. Right. The image isn't so much a thing. Like sometimes you kind of think, oh, how did I get that mark? Mm -hmm. Something about that energy, like you capture an arm and it just works. Um, Whereas an image, it's it's something removed. Right, right. Um, sometimes you just come up, up with an image and you think, yeah, that really worked. It's harmonies are all there, mm-hmm. the balance is set. Um, and when it sells, you do feel a bit disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I find that most... And there's other people. I, I just I find that I think most artists are... I think it's more unusual that I have that attitude about it because I think most artists are more attached to the work which I totally get, you know, it's like your kids, you know, I get it. You, you made this thing. I just feel like, I've just always felt like, you know, it's, uh, if I can keep selling them, I could paint another one. And I just want to paint another one more than anything, you know, is to do something new. Cause it's just so it's, it's, it's like a game. It's like a puzzle game to me. It's like, it's, it's, it's a challenging puzzle game and you are trying to make this thing work and you start with nothing and it's all about figuring out how can I make this work? And then when you make it work and the magic thing happens where you get the inspiration finally and it makes everything come together, it's just so satisfying. It's so fun. So it's like I feel like I'm just constantly playing this puzzle game. 
creating corpses yeah <laughs> creating co beautiful corpses for people to enjoy for for people who like to collect beautiful corpses <laughs> do you feel that same way with your sculpting uh yeah <laughs> i really do yeah yeah well i'm used to that with the sculpture because when you sculpt something and mold it it's destroyed the sculpture's just the clay is destroyed so um usually in the molding process and then you're and then you do casts and then you're kind of like selling the casts or painting the casts and selling them so i mean that's how effects was all everything gets molded and your sculpture gets trashed and that's part of the process so i i probably even feel less attached to the sculptures because i'm so used to them being destroyed but it's all about the um yeah it's all about just the making i just love making art so much that I just want to get on to the next one. Does the, the creativity run into other things like cooking or gardening or anything like that? Uh, I mean, music is my other thing. Probably I, I get that's, that's, it's sort of because what I wanted to do when I was younger when I was a teenager and, um, <clears throat> could never, I had some, I was in some good bands, but I never, we were never able to kind of hit, and um, so I feel like that's music's my hobby now. And it's it's weird. It's for the last five years or so, maybe like I just I cut off playing music. I stopped when the band, last band I was in broke up. It was so disheartening because uh, I was putting all my energy into that. I hadn't even started painting yet. And when that quit, I was just like, OK, I'm totally stepping away from music. I'm not going to play for a while. I just I can't deal with it. And um and then like five, maybe, I think it's about five years ago, 2015, maybe a little longer. I just, I started playing the guitar again and I bought a bass and started playing bass. And I like playing bass more than guitar at this point. And, and it's like, I've got hundreds of riffs on my phone from just sitting there watching TV at night when I'm done painting. I come up with these song ideas, just these little riffs. And it's like, oh, that would make a cool song. Because I was really into songwriting more than performing or anything. Um, so I've, I record them on my iPhone just with no amp or anything, just this electric bass, just where you can kind of barely hear it. And so I have this dream that one day I'm going to, you know, record all this stuff because I can do it now. Like the the, in, the song intro to the podcast is one of my one of those songs that I just yeah. came up with riffs so i've got i seriously have hundreds of them now and the I, the thought of <laughs> sitting down with my recording software and writing like an album's worth of music sounds like the most fun thing to me it's it's like i i would be so excited to be able to do that but i've got this book i gotta get done i got commissions i gotta get done so one of these days maybe when i'm old and how's, how's the, the book coming along Oh, it's, 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 it's further along than it's ever been. I'm at a point now where, um, the graphic designer is like, Hey, why don't you, let's do, you know, we're kind of deciding on this look of it. She's laying out, laying things out, looks amazing. And we're just deciding on, um, you know, like I'm doing, I'm going to do pen and ink renderings of some of these different types of characters because I really want to go for that old um, 
science manual, turn of the century field guide mixed with, you know, an art book, but it's also kind of like a field guide with all like the little figure A, you know, and cursive maybe Mm -hmm. italicized and stuff, little arrows pointing and stuff like that. So now I got to do like a lineup of of all the different types of characters, like a police lineup. And I think I'm going to do those in pen and ink, you know? So, uh, she's got pretty much all the paintings and I'm just filling in some pieces like that. Some, some drawings and stuff like that. So I'm still hoping I'm going to be done this year. That's the goal, but it's like only two months left in the year. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it's been an ongoing project. Oh my God. Um, Cause you, you say like you create these, um, these paintings and they're like corpses, but, the characters you do crop up again and again, and they have to sort of, they're fitting into your world, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I was saying, like, the, the the paintings themselves are almost like corpses of, you know, if you look at the, okay, the painting, the life of a painting, in this dumb theory I had, the, the life is... <laughs> When it's blank canvas, it's a it's a being born, and then you're you you you're you birthing it, and the the entire you're life. Good for a while. Yes, and the life the life of the painting happens until the painting process stops, and then it's dead, and then you have a corpse. That was kind of the idea, but I feel like it. You know, on another level, the the, the characters are once you create them and bring them into reality, they're kind of alive. You know, at least in your, my imagination. So it's a, it's a weird thing. It doesn't make sense really, but <laughs> that was an interesting thought. <laughs> so yeah, so I've got a lot of characters that keep keep coming around. more <laughs> in the head have to come out. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh Alex Alex Grace giving me a great quote for the documentary when he got interviewed. I I got to I got a uh remember it because i always butcher it but it was he was saying about my paintings which is a, so amazing for me because he's such a hero of mine he said it's like these uh what did he say it's like these beings need to be seen now and so it's you know they're it's almost like they're alive in some other level and they need humanity to see them now. So they're making me paint them. It was kind of the gist of it. He said it, of course, a lot more eloquently than me. Cause like I told you, I can't speak for shit. <laughs> That's why I paint because I can't talk, speak well, or, you know, it's like if I, I'd probably be a, you know, a, a public speaker. Otherwise. Well, that's the thing. If you spend so much time on your own, just using pictures as your language, then your vocabulary is going to go down, isn't it? I found having travelled a lot in third world countries where you've got to simplify your language so mm-hmm. often, you then start, like, you you can have five words pop up in your head to explain the same thing. Right. And then it just becomes confusion and you don't quite say what you want to say because you're thinking, am I simplifying it so this guy who doesn't right. know much English can and then it starts to impact on your life and everyday life when you're back in the lights of, of Ireland you know I I feel like it's um, uh, like a brain thing for me though 
like, like I've always been that way. It's like some kind of, I mean, I remember being, cause I've always been a really, uh, a, a voracious reader. I love to read. So I've got a good vocabulary. It's just expressing myself verbally is the problem. And you know, when I'm doing it here on the podcast, I am stretching myself to the, to the bounds of, of how well I can speak. It's like, it's a chore. It's like, it's really, I'm really trying. I'm trying. And it's this weird kind of like balancing act of letting go and just having a conversation because when I'm not, it's, I think it has something to do with some kind of being self-conscious maybe because, you know, I'm obviously I'm speaking to you now and I'm pretty, you know, somewhat fluid with my verbiage, but uh, it's like, I feel like I'm trying, you know, and, and trying is for me is like letting go and just kind of having a natural conversation and not thinking about it too much. But I remember being like in a crib, maybe like three years old, or maybe not in a crib, but three or four years old and having these kind of complex thoughts and feeling angry and frustrated that I couldn't s- express them, you know, uh, through speaking. You know, so it feels like it's always been that way for me. It's just I'm not naturally gifted in that way. Some people just can talk like <laughs> like it's nothing. Like Mike, yeah. Mike Carell, the, yeah. you know, the guy who I started the podcast with. Yeah. That dude can fucking yeah. go on and on, like, and he's just fluid and easy for him. And it's like, I'm just not that way. Yeah. I try. Well, I've noticed he does it well. Yeah, I envy that. Yeah. I like, I envy people being able to speak that way. Yeah, I mean, I think prior to coming on here, I was thinking, oh, well, I don't know what to talk about. And uh, <laughs> it's just just got to flow, really. Hasn't oh, yeah. It? And it's just one of those relaxed conversations. Yeah. I'm just suddenly aware that, oh, yeah, this is a podcast rather than a chat. Right. Yeah. It's, it's... This has been recorded. This yeah. Go out. And you think that there's so many things that you could talk about. But you can't cram it all into a couple of hours. Exactly. And, uh, and it might not have any real relevance, but until you've got another thing to link it to that, and then it kind of has relevance. So really it's just, yeah, go with the flow. Yeah, I just, I just, if, if nothing else, I try and kind of steer it somewhat and keep it on the art and what I think people are interested in. Even if it's not about the art, I, I'm always thinking, you know, is the audience going to be interested in what we're talking about right now? And so I try and just steer it to some degree. Um, But you know, everything we've been talking about was, I thought was very interesting. So I didn't do much steering. (laughs) The thing with, uh, with dark art, I mean, I I approached this as a question to you once that there's a lot of cliche imagery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of a lot of skulls to the point where it just becomes a bit too much. I mean, a skull is a great thing right. to draw to paint. It's fascinating, but um, to really tap into that sort of more um, unusual yes. angle of what darker art has to offer, um, it it is filled with a lot of cliche imagery. A bit like pop surrealism has a lot of cliche imagery too. Yeah, you know, the pretty girl. Fantasy land with big eyes, and yep. you start to kind of identify straight straight away. Okay, that's that, and that's that. But it's nice when you've got the a bit more, um, a bit more to it than that. Yeah, well, that's you know, also 
uh, part of the reason for taking the name Dark Art that everybody was using anyway. You know, mm-hmm. just settle on it. It's fine. Let's let's try and coalesce around this just so we are giving ourselves, you know, a bit of a some footing, a way to, you know, coalesce around something, promote ourselves, promote the idea that this that if it's dark, it's not evil, blah, 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 the usual, because that, that's a cliche for people that aren't into it, that it's bad or mm-hmm. satanic or some yeah. stupid bullshit. But um, I'm always pushing. I think that one of the things I, I just I feel like whether it's, tr- you know, whether it's true or not, I feel like I have this obligation just because I'm <clears throat> probably talking about it publicly more than most people i feel like i need to encourage other dark artists to really reach down deep and explore explore the idea in new ways instead of just relying on cliches and stuff you know i think that's important this is this is but this is a a great example of why you're a great guest for the podcast because i feel like you're really doing that with your work it's like it's deep and it's personal and mysterious but it also falls in that dark area because it's generally got a dark vibe to it but that doesn't you know that's not an insult that's from where i'm coming from Mm -hmm. that's a compliment (laughs) because that's what i like (laughs) you know it's like it's like uh you know my favorite dark artists are Bekshinsky and giger it's like those guys created their own vocabulary they were not ripping other people off and develop their own thing like a totally way out there crazy amazing unique style and i think it's not you know dark art is not like a limit it's more like a a starting point that really can be uh uh it's it's it can be very deeply explored and expressed and a great vehicle for uh creating new unusual and exciting work you know what i mean that's how i view it anyway it's like a good starting point as long as we don't get hung up on the cliches and we actually use it for deep exploration personal exploration because i was thinking the other movements in the past impressionism Mm -hmm. overism whatever it is they don't necessarily have a subject that they're right. moving on. Yeah, that's true. They yeah. Anything. Whereas dark arts kind of wraps around a subject, isn't it? And I was trying to think what else would be the equivalent where there is a core subject, and I couldn't really think of anything. Maybe the romantics, sort of, but mm. there's still a whole range of things that they cover. Right. And, uh, and right. then... We've got film as well now, so right. that's thing that the impressionists didn't have back then, you know. So right, right. But the surrealists did. How... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but the surrealists still would tackle all sorts of things, wouldn't they? Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've, I mean, I kind of feel that way about. I think the potential for that for that is within that dark art realm you know, to do all that, you know, music, you know, music, there's is kind of falls under that as well. And film, you know, on the, on the, uh, you could say that, uh, on the, on the 
less deep end of things in dark art, you've got horror movies, you know? And then on the deep end of the good shit, you've got David Lynch, you know, which is kind of dark surrealism. I mean, dark surrealism might be a better term, but dark art is already kind of there and it doesn't, you know, like I always say, it's like the, you know, the person makes the name, the name cool. It doesn't, it's not like the name makes the person cool. It's like, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, I think it's just a, a convenient label. It works yeah. and you know what you're getting. If you say, oh, it's a dark art show, you know what you're going to be seeing. Exactly. There. People know what you're talking about and you, you're not struggling yeah. with how to explain it to somebody, basically. It's just, it's, it is, it's a convenient thing. And it's also like, do artists really need another uh, block blockade <laughs> something to stop that it's hard enough to be an artist to, to you know you, we need to get clear out any extraneous bullshit like what's our what's the best t- name we could have for our movement or anything like that it's like you know anything that's going to help make things easier is going to benefit everybody i think but do, do you ever feel this like um like i i find i'd like to explore color more mm-hmm. but it's a scary um i look at other imagery that i see on like great artists work and i think wow look at the colors in that and they right. really captured that i like draw a palette like that and then inevitably i end up coming back to my earth tone i know i know <laughs> it just keeps going so i kind of think well is that me because i'm more into the organic subjects and i'm not into technology i'd never use a vivid pink or purple right green, i know right right you know um, and a good punchy color sometimes really does set off the darker tones. Oh yeah, for it? sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I... you're thinking, I'd like to do this now because there's been enough darkness in the world. Right. All this COVID <laughs> shit. I want to free up. <laughs> Be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do something more cool, but um, and obviously you come back to doing what you you do again. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. I'm I'm earth tones and grays. I'm like grays i like gray 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 all my colors are like basically shades of gray you know everything's mixed down and um and but and i always come back to it and it's but it's like it's kind of what i love to look at and i appreciate people you know there's people in the dark art scene you know like ryan case that's doing these yeah right crazy color stuff and it's cool you know i i I just i like the range you know i I like that i just think everyone ultimately more than trying to you know fit into this movement the artist's primary goal should be you know the most pure self-expression as possible you know and if you start painting stuff outside of the realm then that's cool too because i I don't know it seems like you know it's that's one thing it's like i don't want it to be i don't know i don't want the 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 outsider image of dark artists to become like a chip on our shoulder and like fuck everybody fuck the normal artists because you know the the normal artists are amazing you know it's like you can only learn from them and you just benefit from putting that into your repertoire and yeah. having an appreciation for all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen that in the dark art society, you know, there's, there's a great reverence to the old masters and the, mm-hmm. those who've come the craft. Yeah. Um, Which is great. Yeah. yeah. We, we have to, I do. I, I often look at the old masters and, 
amazed at what they could do back then. I know, without uh, toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> without electric lights, without tubes of paint. <laughs> yeah, like, um, With scurvy and, and, uh, and scabies. <laughs> Yeah. All kinds of diseases. They were doing this amazing <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, what Egon Shield died of um, Spanish flu, didn't he? Who did? And Clinton. Egon Sheila. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And, wow. and I think Clinton. Oh, oh weird. Among the lurgies going out there and wars coming. Um, but yeah, like, would you ever take it back as far as grinding your own pigments? Like the old yeah, I mean, kid. that would be fun. I just can't. It's it's like such a different, you, you know, you got to think those dudes back then, if they didn't have to, they probably wouldn't be doing it. You know, if they had tubes, yeah, but they the would. Thing, because um, I was chatting with um, Alessandro, is uh, that Italian painter does surreal kind of boshish type, mm -hmm. bold heads, you know, the peaceful kind of spiritual dark side of things mm. turned to him the other day because he's grinding his own pigments so he's bought the powders from a supplier in italy and now he's grinding them with his pestle on glass and and he says you get such vivid color ah interesting and then the process of it you know it must be quite rewarding there is something to be said about stretching you know starting with these raw materials and stretching your own canvas and making your own pigment and, you know, it's just like when I first started sculpting my first sculpture, I sculpted it, I molded it, I cast it up, I got rid of the seam, there's like a line down the side, I, you know, carefully, I did the whole process. And it definitely, um, you know, imbues it with an energy that you've been that it's you all the way. But <clears throat> I don't know, I feel like that's kind of like a it's one of the things you have to give up in order to maybe survive. <laughs> That's the way I feel. Like I, I, I just, I don't know that I have time to. It's our, yeah. time is such yeah. a short thing for me already that I just grinding adding another step is like, you know, if I had that luxury, I would love it. I would love it. But you know, you can get those uh, Rublev colors. Those are the you know that company Rublev. Well, that, that was. I was looking at it next, but I mean, one of those tubes, a lead white, is very expensive. It's expensive. I just bought um, some. <laughs> yeah, okay. they're really I'm not great. Lead white yet. Yeah, yeah, I bought. I just bought like a few colors because I was like, I got to try these out. They they have no binder, or every every almost every paint on the market, at least they say, has has a small amount of a binder in it, which I'm not even really sure what that means. Maybe binding. Maybe so the oil and the pigment mixed together well or something. I don't know, but they're just linseed oil and and um, pigment. So that's if you were to make them yourself. Aside from being able to make these custom colors, that's kind of what that stuff yes. is, you know. And have you tried them yet? Yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're they're great. I but I you know I I haven't. I just bought some and I just this painting that I've been live streaming, I've been using some of those paints and it wasn't like a game changer. I mean, they're great, but I'm, you know, I'm not super picky when it comes to that stuff, when it comes to, you know, cause I, maybe cause I'm painting. So I'm mixing so much myself and I'm painting with this really, this mud palette. So everything's mixed down. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Um, but there's there's certain colours like uh, there's one I've got here. Um, it's a lemon yellow. Mm-hmm. And if you look at this lemon yellow compared to other lemon yellows, oh, it's yeah. so vivid. I can't find it now. It's Michael Harding. Oh yeah, Harding. yeah, yeah. Those are great. They make really nice paint yeah. as well. But, but I've been trying to get lead white, but um, you have to be a restorer. Like there's EU regulations, you really? can't just get it sent over. Yeah, and then you have to fill out a big form, and it's quite complicated to get. Oh wow! The Rublev ones, they didn't have that form on the the website, so maybe I'll try then. Huh? Yeah, it's funny because I got some lead white because, of course. In America, you can get lead white because <laughs> it's the land of the free market and you could kind of buy anything. <laughs> Although they give you a warning label in California. But um, I got lead white. And to be honest, I like it. I like it better, a little bit better than titanium white, regular titanium. But I am so paranoid of the lead and I hate using gloves that I haven't really used it. I used it a little bit and it's like, it's, it's nice, but it's not so amazing that I'm going to put gloves on to use it or that I'm going to use it and just not worry about it with my grandkids running around the room and everything, you yeah, know, I've heard it's more if you, if you sand it. Then yeah. You know, yeah. Hate Probably. Sometimes I do. Yeah. yeah. Pro- I'm sure it's the dust would be bad, but I think, you know, if you, you know, if, if you ate it or got in your lips and, you know, I smoke and it's like, you know, get it on your cigarette and put it in your mouth. <laughs> so I do have it. It's great, but it's not that great. <laughs> it's, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to always use this. It's it's great. Yeah. But but it's like I it doesn't it doesn't really affect. I don't feel like it changes my paintings or the look. It's just like that. uh uh, uh, you know the (laughs) you know marage medium have you ever used marage medium it's like this old masters medium that this company called old masters i think it's called oldmasters.com or old masters paints or something they're the only place i know of that makes this marage medium which is this traditional oil painting medium made with like you know lead and it's super toxic, right? But it's it's the most amazing medium. It's like, uh, have you ever used Galkid gel? Have you ever used Galkid gel? A similar thing. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Kind of it? Yeah, it's kind of like that, but it's totally different than anything I've ever used, right? It's got it's weird. It's like, it's it's a gel but it's kind of fluffy in a weird way. It's really unusual and it feels amazing. It's like, it's the, it's, it's a great, amazing medium. Right. But it's, they use turpentine and it just, I cannot take the fumes, man. It's like, it stunk my whole room up. So I don't use it. You know, I would like to, but, but it's too nasty and toxic and it doesn't really make that much of a difference with my paintings. I feel, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a li- I've got a lid on my like this thing here, you know, the sealed. Yeah. Turps are in there, and it's okay. Do you use I turpentine or like an odorless? That's turpentine. Oh, you use real turpentine. Yeah, but with the lid on, there's yeah. no smell in there. Right, right, and then, right. Um, when I'm using the linseed oil, you don't really mix the the turps in too much. So yeah, oh, there's a little dog 
What's that? My daughter. Hello. <laughs> what a cute pup. They're off to bed. Oh. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Have a nice sleep. Right. Bye. Bye. I'm going to come up and say hello to Chip. <laughs> That's awesome. You have a I've heard a lot about me. Oh. <laughs> and I listen to Yeah. What an amazing family you have. I love it. Yeah. We're off to bed now. Well, good, good right. night, everybody. <laughs> if you can hear me, good night. Good night, Del. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different mediums and poppy and stand oil. And right. How does it really change and impact? I'd like to know more about it, but it's like this where you see the, the wood through the trees kind of thing. Right, right. Um, it's good to have a friend that knows that technical knowledge so they can pass it on right. and share it. It's good to have, yeah, it's good, it's good to have a friend who knows all that shit so I don't have to. <laughs> I'll just ask my friend. There's this there's this guy on Facebook. Let me look real quick. I gotta let you go soon. We're at like two and a half hours. It's crazy. I just really? yeah. I don't want to abuse well, you. Um, yeah, we'll be, this will become too boring. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I this is great. What is this guy? Hold on. What's this guy's name? Virgil. 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 Fuck. Uh, I forget it. Traditional. Hold on. I gotta look it up. He's got a painting group in Facebook, and he is kind of the Traditional oil painting, I believe it's called. Let's see. Yeah, you should check it out. Oh no, that's that's not it. Wait a minute. Yeah, Virgil Elliot, traditional oil painting. He's got a group called Traditional Oil Painting, <clears throat> and it's got eighteen thousand members. But his name's Virgil Elliot, and he's one of these purist guys, right? He's like super anal. Super purist, you you know, fat over lean, no modern resins, mm. mediums, mm. Uh, either straight oil. He's like very, very, and, and, it, and the only paints he recommends other than making yourself are the Rublev paints. Those are the only ones he recommends. And he's very like, you know, he's just, it's good to have a person like that. He seems kind of like a little uptight. Maybe, but but it's good to have a person like that 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 really takes that stuff seriously. So he's like he will not entertain any idea of a liquid or anything because it's like it's gonna yellow over time and this and that, and it's like yeah. so so well, you should. You what, it's good. To, it's a good group to join. Traditional oil painting on Facebook. Yeah, well, um, I'll write that down. Uh, Igor is really good at his knowledge. You know, Igor that's been the corporate shows as well. Oh yeah, really. He's, yeah, I guess it kind of shows. Yeah, he's got knowledge of that. Yeah, mediums that's and, cool. And that. So we've had quite a technical chats. Um, but yeah, cool, mate. Um, I better go then. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it was so long. I really got <laughs> lost track of time. But that's uh, that's the sign of a good conversation. So I think people will enjoy it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's I appreciate great meeting you and great talking to you super fun really enjoyed it and uh again i'm a huge fan and and uh i am i hope that you'll get 
more exposure from this podcast because your stuff is amazing and awesome. So keep doing what you're doing. Like I said, I feel like you're 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 definitely you're adding to this movement. You're adding something to this movement. So um, I think that's great. It's nice to be in. It's nice to be in. It. And uh, thanks for everything, Chet, you know, for what you're doing for the movement. Oh, yeah. I think you're a great, great leader at the helm. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> uh, my pleasure. It seems just seems like, what else am I going to do? <laughs> what else am I going to do with my life? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we appreciate you out there listening and uh, let's say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience thank you goodbye